and welcome back to the Horror Cult Films Podcast. I'm David Smith, and tonight I'm joined by the Dream Team, Mr. Jim Lamming and Ross Hughes. Say hi, guys. Hi, guys. And this time we're coming in live from Haddonfield to talk about the Halloween franchise. When John Carpenter made his super low-budget horror about a masked man killing babysitters, he couldn't have predicted it would lead to 11 more and kickstart a whole subgenre. No, Halloween was not the first slasher, yet it was the most important, setting a template for countless iterations to follow. Countless imitators. Among other things, we'll be discussing his first flick, the series highs and lows, the 2018 reboot, and then Michael's latest outing, the terribly named Halloween Kills. And frankly, I can't wait to see what these guys made of it, because we've been keeping ourselves quiet for the last week. But first of all, it's not just been Halloween films. Ross, what else have you been watching? Well, it's been a while since I last done a podcast, so I think I've probably watched 40 films since then. Uh, recently, I probably caught up on a lot of the Shudder films. Uh, the Toll, which is uh, a ghost story, which was pretty decent, i got to be honest with you. And, uh, the, the Boy Behind the Door was pretty good as well. But over the last weekend, I've been binge-watching TV shows, and you season three is out, which technically is horror. I don't think you've seen it yet, David, have you? Oh, I've seen the first two seasons and really enjoyed it. Is it still quite Dexterish? It's very, very Dexterish. And the season three, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but season three is just as good. It's, I just love the character of Joe. There's something seriously wrong with this lad. And so I've been watching that as well. And I've just finished watching Dr. Death, which is a true life story starring um, Joshua Jackson, Alec Baldwin, and... Christmas later, which is, which is always dependable. But as for films, I've been I've been saving myself for Halloween Kills, which we we'll talk about later. And uh, what about yourself, Jim? You've been watching much good. A lot of Halloween films. Again, <laughs> uh, we'll touch upon that soon enough. Uh, Netflix just dropped a lot of them, so uh, I hadn't seen some of the sequels, so I was uh, quite thrilled about that. So I went through a few of them, which we'll discuss. Uh, the David Lynch version of Dune was shown Whoa. a few weeks back at the cinema, so there was no way I was passing up on that. Obviously, you've got the Denis uh, uh, Villeneuve film imminent, but uh, the Lynch one, I've always been a fan of myself. Now, up until Alaska, I always thought it was probably, you know, his least recognisable film. You know, you, you would say it's not necessarily got any of his hallmarks. I must have been on something because when I watched it last at the cinema, it was, you know, it couldn't have been any more David Lynch. I mean, one of the scenes had a cat sellotaped to a rat, which one of the characters had to milk in order to not die. So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking there, but it was, it was incredible. I mean, a lot of people say that film's terrible, but I loved it. It was one of the best, experiences at the cinema I've ever had. It was just absolutely crackers, and I loved every minute of it. So are you um, looking forward to the new one? Uh, less after watching that, actually. Because <laughs> as soon as it finished, because like, they showed the trailer before uh, the, the Lynch version of the, the new one, and I just, how do you follow that, you know? <laughs> it's got to be something completely different. Uh, I, I have heard it is very different to what a lot of people are expecting but I don't know I'm, I'm 
I'm guessing it's a different beast entirely. Um, speaking of Dennis Villeneuve, I watched Blade Runner 2049 the other day as well, um, which is cracking. I think you were watching it as well, David, which got me in a mood for it. So yeah. uh, it's, it's just you know big, pondering sci-fi. Everything just comes across as massive on there. You've got the bold colors, and it just goes on forever, and it's my kind of sci-fi. <laughs> I genuinely preferred it to the original one. I thought, like, okay, so we, we managed to get a bit more world-building in it, and I thought there was just more story, really. Like, the first movie is great, don't get me wrong, some fantastic designs, really solid acting, great concept. However, most of the second half of the first movie is like a chase sequence. And I just find the quest a little bit more compelling this time around. Yeah, I don't think there was a wasted actor in that film either. No. Uh, everyone was just on the top of their game. Even Harrison Ford, who, you know, at this point normally just turns up for the paycheck, doesn't he? <laughs> Even he was great in that. And yeah, you just can't fault the film. It's a perfect film. And that soundtrack, uh, Howard Shore, I believe, did it, right? Blade Runner. Yeah, 2049. No, so that's Hans Zimmer. Oh, shit. Okay, yes, Hans <laughs> Zimmer. Yes, okay. Getting my, getting my composers mixed up. That was a really interesting soundtrack because something we didn't have in it was uh, there wasn't like a kind of big dynamic dun, 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 during the fight scenes. You know, it kept this mm. ambience all the way through it and yeah, it just it's... added so much to the atmosphere. Yeah, definitely more in keeping with the original film as well with the, with the uh, whole synth sound and just... Like this whole third act, the 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 hairs on the back of my neck were on end. Just the music and the visuals and everything just worked perfectly. It was incredible. Ross, are you a fan of Blade Runner or Blade Runner twenty forty nine? I am seen the second one. I tried watching it, couldn't get into it. Same as Doom, I tried <laughs> watching David Lynch that film many times. But I, I'm a guy who doesn't like Lord of the Rings, so I, I put my hands up. <laughs> well, when when we start our Fantasy cult films podcast, you're not allowed. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, anything else you've been watching, Jim? Uh, oh, I saw the new uh, Ridley Scott films. well, The Last Duel. That was very good. Um, probably about half an hour too long, in my opinion. Uh, it's basically the story of uh, a French knight whose wife is raped by one of his friends or one of his fellow soldiers and it tells you the story from each perspective of those involved so you see a lot of repetition in there and while some of it is necessary some of it's just something as basic as a mannerism that's you know <laughs> been seen from three different points of view so it does drag on a bit but uh, again like it's one of them films where the best thing about it is the people in it the sets and uh, just the, the wardrobe and costume. It's, it's, you know, really, really well made. But as I say, about half an hour too long. It's flopped, haven't it, Sam? It hasn't done now well at the box office Apparently, at all. Apparently, but I must have been all right around here because when I went, it was packed. Mm, I just thought, I think those kind of films are not in the highlight in the limelight at the moment you know no. it's, it's not it's not a superhero film you know it's not yeah. a marvel or dc i think it's gonna, it's gonna get a bit lost in the market mm, i mean personally i'm not a big fan of period films anyway and i, I only went because everything else was too busy <laughs> so, but i still enjoyed it it was, it was a good film oh i love a bit of braveheart 
It's the only Scott in the group. I genuinely hate Braveheart. <laughs> do you? Uh, do you? Yeah, I absolutely fucking hate Braveheart. I'll tell Freedom! you why. Freedom! <laughs> like, some of this... Uh, the, the idea that, okay, so all the uh, descendants of the English throne are going to argue also descendants of Wallace is what they've been forward in it. And also, William Wallace is the son of a nobleman. He grew up in a castle. He didn't grow up in some little village there. And the way that they bring in this sort of shite about, like... Oh, I just want to grow crops and God willing raise a family. It's a kind of noble savage thing we're trying to do. It just ah, oh, it irritated me so much. For like, I oh, used a perfect human being, you know, man of love, man of war, that sort of thing. Absolutely hated Braveheart. Absolutely fucking hated it. Um, Mel Gibson, <laughs> is Mel Gibson be a Scottish and they kill us? <laughs> what more do you need? Um, on the last duel, by the way, uh, the, the, the thing I've heard about it is it's sort of like a, a medieval Me Too film, essentially, isn't it? Because like I've, yeah. I've heard that that's what the sort of the big USP for it is that we're saying okay well we're doing a a movie that's about today's tensions but applying them to a period drama where don't get me wrong you know these issues still would have been relatively common but it's focusing on the who believes the women mm. aspect of yeah, it yeah yeah and and the, the dueling question is basically to determine who is you know in the right at the end of it all because mm. it's all God's will but it, it, yeah it's a, it is. The idea of a trial by combat, where if you beat someone, then it means that they were lying. Yeah, yeah. Like so, everyone's life is on the line in this film, um, especially in uh, you know the uh, finale, which personally I thought went on a bit too much. It was impressively made, but you know it dragged that out a little bit. But yeah, um, a lot of the, I'd say, latter half of the film is told from Jodie Comer's character. And hers is the best part as well. She is incredible in that film. And a lot of the people, like, I mean, it's set, what, 700 years ago? And, you know, you would expect things to have progressed a lot since then, but it seems like watching some courtroom drama from about 20 years ago, <laughs> the, the way the women are treated. It's... um so either things have stalled for a good few hundred years and only now starting to get somewhere. But uh, yeah, I would t- t- a crass generalisation would be to call it a Me Too film. Yeah. I'll tell you what I've been catching recently, folks. I watched Malignant, which awesome. <laughs> is, it's quite a competent supernatural horror, but sort of like, eh. And then as it goes on, it just gets better and better. Like, that third act is absolutely insane. I was told in advance, this film gets kind of strange as it goes on. I did not see where it was going. I, um, absolutely, I absolutely adored it, David. I, yeah. I, it's my favorite, one of my favourite films. It's my top three of the year. It's just so batshit crazy. I mean, <laughs> no, no spoilers, obviously, but that twist, oh my God. I, I don't think anyone... Mm. I think John saw it come in on our website, you know, uh, he did say he saw, he saw it come in. I don't know how. I was just flabbergasted. It's just mental. It's, it's probably one's, <laughs> it's probably one's best film. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't I, think of that part. Oh, come on. It's There's nothing like it out there. There's nothing. It's, it's, like, it's like a comic strip in some angles. You know? that, it's just, that's yeah. absolutely true. It's definitely his most distinctive film. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's... I wouldn't say I saw it coming. I, I kind of got what was happening, but the way it happened was... I just... I was floored. It was incredible. <laughs> I just could not believe what I was watching. I, like, it... 
the 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 opening was brilliant, really schlocky and over the top. So that kind of sets up for what's going to happen. But then it kind of just goes into generic horror for a little while. Mm. There's a few tense moments build up and so on, but then bang, and it's just yeah. What? It felt it felt a bit like <laughs> in the midsection. It felt a bit like okay, the studio said to him, "Can you make something that's a bit like Insidious?" <laughs> and then he's like, "Okay, that's me done my uh, ghost film. Now we're doing this." <laughs> yeah. I and think it's, it's, I think I think it was done on purpose, or in some ways. I mean, even the beginning, the opening to ten minutes is, is so good, but the acting's awful. But I think it's like the acting's done on purpose. <laughs> and you think, you know, this is going to be cheesy. You know, this is this is going to be a stupid dumb film. And then, as you said, it's, and then he turns into Insidious, which probably sells out to the auto market a bit. So it sucks people in. So I was thinking, oh, this is a ghost story or something. And then, of course, it just turned on its head. And by yeah, now you've swept in. I don't think I've had that much fun in the cinema throughout 2021 I gotta be honest with you and I doubt towards the end as well uh, I'll tell you another film I watched which I thought was really promising up until the ending so kind of obviously the opposite did either of you guys see The Night House? I haven't seen it no. yet not yet no it's without going into anything specific it sets up a really really intriguing mystery and then the answer we get is so fucking stupid. <laughs> that, like, like, I was just like, no! It, like, it was uh, one of those kind of very neat endings. You've got so many different threads, and they had to find a way of connecting them all. And I'm not sure that the explanation they, they gave made character sense. It also kind of hints at a whole different, uh, a whole darker side of it that doesn't go explored at all but I'll say no more I don't wish to spoil it can I ask you one thing though yeah is it as stupid as getting a mob and spending all night in a hospital <laughs> while the killer while the, while the killer is walking the streets is it, that, is it as stupid as that just I yes or no can't think what film you're thinking of okay uh, uh, genuinely yes it is stupider <laughs> than that <laughs> right. well, the other ones have seen I saw the second Venom film, Let There Be Carnage. I had a really good time with this one. Relatively well acted, you know, it was, it, it was, it was really funny. They big up the comedic elements, the pacing of it's nice. The main thing that it didn't have going for it was there's very little Venom in Carnage. Like, you know the scene with the cathedral that you see yeah. in all the adverts? That happens right in the third act. Yeah. So you don't have the typical, you know, here's the second act of it. Here, when the villain fight, the hero gets his ass kicked and goes, I'll try harder. You don't get that. But at the same time, the first two acts where they treat it almost like a breakup film between Eddie and Venom, it's just really well done. Uh, Many Saints of Newark. You guys see that? Yes. What do you think? It's it's worthy. It's, it's probably... It's, now, I, obviously, I'm a massive fan of Breaking Bad. You know, memes uh, of Kranos. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I lost my chain of thought now. Carry on, David. I'm laughing at myself now. Carry on, <laughs> carry on. So, uh, many things of New York. I thought it was a really interesting origin story. I liked that we get to see some of the mythology they talk about in the show. They characterise Dicky Moltisanti, and I also like that the golden age of the mafia is still a little bit shit in it. You know, no yeah. one's having a good time here. I. Really liked some of the performances. The guy playing Uncle Junior, guy playing Silvio. I don't think the timeline really makes any sense. Uh, like Silvio 
looks far too old for a guy that's meant to have been coming in at the same time as Tony. Yeah. The bit where Tony holds the baby Christopher, despite this dialogue that he's nine years older, and there it's played by the son. But that being said, Michael Gandolfini was just sensational in it. Yeah, 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 he was. His father would have been proud. His father would have been very proud. Absolutely. As I say, and when I mentioned Breaking Bad just now, because I started laughing. I mean, I think they done that spin, not not Better Call Saul the prequel. They done the Jesse story, oh. that one, and he didn't think well, it was a bit pointless. But at least with the Sopranos story, it was a story worth telling. I mm. I did enjoy it, and in some ways, I was gutted that it was. I think it'd be more better as a TV show because I think they got a, they got a lot of more to explore it than you know what a two-hour film or, or whatever the running time was. Yeah, because David Chase has apparently signed a five-year deal now with HBO Max, so they right. are looking to develop a prequel series. I think there's a lot of rich material there, particularly yes. connecting the dots from where Tony is emotionally at the end of this yes. and how he becomes a Tony from Series 1. Yes. I think Michael Gandolfini said he's open to doing one more, so if that extends to a mini-series, brilliant. Brilliant. Like, all the way through, the main thing I was wanting to see was just more of the characters we've come to know and love. Like, I want to see Ralphie, the future mana card game that they built up. I want to see Richie April with the jacket. You know, I want, I want to see this more of his transition from Livia. We see probably the last good bits of Livia in, in the many saints of Newark. And then we've got her. I, I won't say what she does, but one of the things we've been led to believe about Dickie it appears that she's the person who began the rumour. And I just thought it was such a nice uh, mixture of fan service and also just being a really good gangster film in its own right. I know a lot of people hate it. Fucking disagree with them. <laughs> you can't, you can't. It's, it's a bit like what we're going to talk about the Halloween films. The Spawn is such an iconic TV show. You're not going to please the entire fan base. You know, if, if it's just 30% of the people are happy with what they saw, then David Chase has done his job. And uh, last one I want to mention here is this, fantastic little sci-fi film I saw at Fright Fest called Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. It's like a... It really brings into magic of cinema, right? This whole film is one shot long, but all the way through it, you're going to be saying, how the fuck did they do that? Because you've got this one shot long film where you've got the characters using this... The plot of this, basically, this character finds that a monitor in his bedroom and a monitor in his workplace appear to be connected to each other. So he can speak to himself in uh, two minutes into the future from his room. And the way that it plays with this by creating lots of different paradoxes, it's really funny. Like it just explores the hell out of the situations. It gets more and more complicated, more people getting involved. But the camera just follows the one version of this guy. So you've got him filming both parts of the equation in the same shot. And then you've got all these other characters coming in who will be acting out a scene which we're then watching unfold downstairs, but then they're speaking to themselves in the scene that we just watched and film. And it's just one of the most funny, inventive, frankly, amazing to look at films I've watched in a long time. What's the title again? Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. Sounds like my sex life. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the best film I saw at Brightfest. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> can, we, can we talk about one thing up before we move on to Halloween? Mm -hmm. I, can I just add this onto the list? The Scream 5 trailer. I need to ask your oh, opinion. Okay. Uh, yeah, last one I want to mention before Scream sorry, 5. Sorry, sorry, Dave. I thought you finished. Okay. <laughs> last one I want to mention before Scream 5. Hotel Poseidon, the uh, really immersive, such a good example of building a fantastic-looking set and making the location 
a character. It's a little Dutch black comedy, and it's so ugh, you just, as you watch it, you just want to have a shower. It's just so nasty to look at the kind of degradation that's going on in this building and the characters that live in it. I thought it was brilliant. So uh, was it true? think true life for? No, no, no. It's a it's a black comedy black comedy horror film. Um, showed showed at Fright Fest, and I believe it showed at Grimfest. Oh, right. so, uh, very worth you. Anyway, Scream Five. Yes, what did you think of that trailer? I I was angry when I first watched it. Then I watched it again. Then I watched it again. <laughs> and then I watched <laughs> it again. And I I think and I hope they have. I, I reckon these guys, of course, who've done the fantastic radio not ready radio not. Is it? Yep. I, I'm hoping it's a misleading trailer and there's a lot of fake scenes in that. If it's not, then. I don't like the look of it. But I'm hoping they played a good game with us and, you know, it's not what we're going to see. I think I broadly agree with that. Like, when I was watching the trailer, I was kind of hyped starting it, the phone ringing, I was like, ooh. But, yeah, I just sort of thought, eh. The text is, it was, it was, it was, old, it was old hat. There was nothing there which blew me away. I mean, we watched, I saw the Scream 4 trailer when it came out in 2010 and I was already sucked into the world. I was thinking, yeah, the guys are back. But I didn't have, didn't get that feeling of excitement whatsoever. I think mm. we're gonna. I think it's building to something. I think the biggest clue where we're heading is in actually in the. It's, it's scream. It's got a tagline. It's always someone you know. So I think that to us is the biggest clue of where this might be heading. I, that's what that's the thing I come for me because it's such highlighted. It's always someone you know, and it's such a weird tagline to put next to scream. So that's just my theory. I guess that's kind of playing up to the whodunit angle. I mean, yeah. my my main hope for this one, um, have they confirmed this? This isn't going to be written as the last one, is it? Like, I assume it's going to be open. Well, even if it, they say it's the last one in 10 years' time, we probably have a remake or reboot or Scream Kills or something, you know. But uh, <laughs> if you look carefully at the trailer, and I'm sorry it's spoiling, it's just a theory. I actually think, if you look at it carefully, I think Doobie's the one that dies at the beginning. That would be cool, because... They, they yeah. kept a, a bit like a certain film we'll be talking about later on. I think the problem with this is they keep all the characters alive, and yet we need to get a sense of how dangerous the people in the ghost face mask can be. Yeah. For me, the last one, with number four, I've said, I said during the podcast about it, I would have ended it with Sydney being dead. If he didn't, Sydney's coming back. The kill off Dewey, that could be good as well. Jim, what did you think? I'm pretty much with you. I, I think a lot of it was a red herring or it was edited in such a way to throw you off as to, you know, who's getting killed and what and so on. But yeah, I think it'd be a good all bets are off sort of thing if one of the big cast members does go quite early on because that just goes to show anyone could go. This reminds me, Ross, you watched the first episode of I Know What You Did last summer, didn't you? Yes. Any good? I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I went in with low expectations because obviously after the Scream TV show, which was absolutely disaster. I mean, I think you and I, David, are massive fans of Harper's mm. Island, which Jim hasn't seen, by the way, audience. In a couple of episodes, you know, if one, if, so I just didn't <laughs> stick with it. <laughs> Come on, Jim, it's Harper's Island, you know, which is probably the best slasher TV show ever. But it's very, very good. I, I was leading into it. You could see this twist at the beginning coming a mile off in the first episode. And I was thinking, I hope that's not going to be 
the ending of the entire show. You, do, you get what, do you get what I mean? Because I don't want to spoil it for you, but they set in this thing up and I was thinking, oh, God, I think I've already worked out who the killer is. But thankfully, the twist is shown in the end of the first episode, which I thought, okay, I like this and it's got me sucked in as well. Mm. It's totally different to the TV show, the character, uh, to the film. The characters are very likable as well. And yeah, it does board well. i got to be honest, though. And I'm, I can't wait till Friday for the next episode. Yeah, excellent. Last thing I want to mention, actually, from this is, have, any, have any, either of you guys seen The Craft Legacy? No. Oh, yes. <laughs> about two years ago when it first came out. I wish I didn't, <laughs> but, you know, I have seen it. Uh, I was watching <laughs> that recently. It's, uh, I, I find myself oddly compelled by it, but... At the same time, it's a terrible film. It feels like the writers just went on TikTok for an afternoon and then just wrote a script <laughs> of what they saw. Like, there was very little stakes. The whole first two thirds seems to be based around, ah, oh, yeah, this guy, the bully. Can we turn him into a feminist ally, right? And now, aside from having a little chuckle to myself, imagining certain people from our crew watching this film and getting really pissed off. <laughs> um, it's it's not a particularly great piece of drama because I'm like, okay, well, it'd be nice if this if this guy maybe became a, a cooler to the girls, but at the same time, I also don't want to see him doing it out of coercion. So like nothing nothing about that premise really worked for me. It was low stakes and it was it was badly written and the main plot point evolved during someone being forced to change their opinions because of a spell. And that makes up the first two thirds of the movie, so it's not great. I think I think the best thing for that film is the tie into the original movie, and then when you see that tie in, and you you think to yourself, then you know what? It just reminds you how good. The, no, not how good the first one was. The first one was not the best film. It was you know it, it born on the back of the scream success because of New Campbell, and yeah, this I won't watch it again. I think something else about the first one that was interesting is they went down a kind of goth route with the characters. In this one, it's yeah. still kind of trying to do a bit of outsiderdom, but it doesn't really reinforce that these characters are outsiders. Because, uh, so it was quite brave that they have, uh, to my knowledge, just be one of the first horror films that's got a trans woman as a, as a lead. But at the same time, it was interesting that they never explored transphobia at all in the film. So they mention in dialogue that she's trans once, but they don't do anything else with it. Now, on one hand, you go, okay, well, that's, uh, that's fine. It's, it's, it's representation. It's normalizing as well. At the same time, part of me is also like, well, with how bluntly the first film explored discrimination and we're meant to buy these girls don't fit in, it's interesting that this isn't why she's being picked on. In fact, we don't really get much evidence mm-hmm. being, anyone's being picked on except from, from this one guy we're trying to change with a spell. Like, these are the cool girls as well. You know, they're hanging out at parties and stuff like this. Yeah, they, they, they're not exactly outcasts, yeah. are they? You know, not so much as the first film, because I think, was it Campbell's? No, even Campbell's character. It was Robert Tooney's character. She was the new girl in town, but didn't have any friends, and these other girls were outcasts, and they did like doing spells. So you, you had that kind of link there. But this film was a bit all over the shop, actually. It was a bit of a mess. Yeah, a bit of a mess. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on to the first Halloween film. Halloween night, a small American town, 15 years ago. (laughs) 
spent eight years trying to reach him. All right, guys. Now, we're not going to be talking about all 12 Halloween films in order or anything. What we're going to be doing here is keeping it relatively loose for the first 10. This will probably still end up being a (laughs) seven-hour episode. Um, So let's begin with this first one. Halloween part one. Why is this so fucking good? Because it's probably the most perfect horror film. Uh, What Deborah Hill and John Carpenter created in 1978 is just masterful. uh, Masterful. It looks fantastic. It's the sense of dread on every single scene lingers. Uh, it's perfectly cast. I mean, you've got Jamie Lee Curtis, of course, the young Jamie, uh, as the iconic Laurie Strode. You know, Nick Castle, my goodness, there's no other better Michael Myers or Boogeyman. You know, what he brings to the shape in the first film, the essence, you know, the way he's there is absolutely brilliant. And of course, then, ironically, not ironically, you know, we got Christopher Lee who turned down the role of Donald Pleasance, oh. uh, of Loomis. You know, you know, he turned that down. You, you can't imagine any other person to play Dr. Loomis and Donald Pleasance, let's be honest. It's just absolutely, it's just a wonderful, wonderful film. And it, it does it without any go. There's only five kills in the entire film. It's what you don't see that's the most scariest thing about it. This is why it makes this film still masterful to this day. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say to, you know, and try to fool everyone and say Halloween was, you know, the uh, the, the first ever slasher film. You know, because that's totally nonsense. I mean, you've got to look back, I think, as if you watch Black Christmas now, you know, Bob Clocks, you know, uh, the guy who directed Porky's, would you believe? I mean, if you've never seen that film and you've, and, if you, and you've already seen Halloween, you would think, oh, my God, this film is ripping off Halloween. But obviously, but that came out, you know, four years before Halloween was released. And Black Christmas carries a lot of things that Halloween does. So then, of course, you've got Psycho as well before that. You've got the underrated Peeping Tom. But what Halloween is, it's the most important, influential horror film of all time. Because without this film, you wouldn't have Jason. You wouldn't have Freddy. You wouldn't have Chucky. And this is why it's such the most important movie in horror. Yeah. In terms of its influence, it's been, you know, it's influenced absolutely everywhere. It's set the template to follow. I saw this article in um, uh, in Variety magazine where we're calling it like a a cheap knockoff of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And you're like, well, they have one thing in common. They both are killers of a mask. But Michael Myers is such a different kind of killer from Leatherface. You know, with Michael Myers, there's something really creepy about the idea of the psychopath next door. There's something really creepy about this, uh, this sort of force of nature that patrols the streets. You know, that can just be hiding in your house. Michael Myers is a subtle killer. He stalks people. No disrespect to Leverface, we don't have that there. You know, Leverface is kind of just running if you're chainsaw uh, wearing. I don't think Lever- Leverface is more like a guard dog. I don't think Leverface really knows what he's doing. With Halloween, I think you've got this combination of a, of a quite cerebral killer, this, this sort of setting where you don't think bad things are going to happen. And just these kind of young characters that just want to kind of celebrate the festival. And I think it just comes together with this nice sort of minimalist stock and slash. I reckon it's brilliant. I think there are some issues I have with it. The main one that I've never liked is the geography of Haddonfield. It doesn't make any sense to me because we know that for, for Laurie to drive 
to Tommy Doyle's house. And we see it going from, from day to night as she does so. We also know that she lives around the corner from the Myers house. Does it make any sense to me that Donald Pleasant's uh, Loomis can be hovering around outside the Myers house, see the car, if that somehow brings into the Doyle house? You're like, she seemed to drive for quite a while to get there. I don't think that Loomis is going to stumble across this house. Speaking of stumbling across houses, we'll be coming to that later on as well. Oh, God. <laughs> But yeah, with Halloween, the the original, it's it's such a simple premise. Mm. Let's be honest, there's there's nothing complicated about it. I mean, you have got the fantastic opening beginning. You know, you have got the quickest sex scene in the street. Forty seconds in real time, and that's in. Oh, Judy! Oh, Judy's satisfied from that. I mean, she must probably spend more seconds getting undressed than he's leaving. You know, you got that. You got then. You got the reveal of Michael in the in the outfit as well. And then you've got, of course, the fantastic credits. And let's be honest, though, you can watch a really, really bad Halloween film, hint, hint. But when you're in that cinema and you've got that jack and lantern on that mm. big screen and that music all around you, there's nothing better in horror. I was sitting there on Friday morning, I was thinking, my God, I'm actually watching a Halloween film again. And that's the feeling you get from these kind of characters like Michael Myers, like Jason, like Freddy Krueger, mm. you know, but the difference with Freddy Krueger is, of course, he's, he's the only one that doesn't wear a mask. This is why it's so difficult now to do a Freddy film because you know, as soon as you do a Freddy film, everyone's going to say well, it's not Robert England. Yeah. You know, you know. So, but anyway, well, you can say anyone can play Michael, but if you just watch the original Halloween, then Nick Castle is just absolutely wonderful as the ship. He is more. He is one of the most important parts of that movie. The way he walks, the the mysterious he brings, the breathing as well. He just brings this vibe of he is the ultimate boogeyman. You you cannot argue that you know you cannot argue that whatsoever. But it is the the ultimate slasher for me. What do you reckon, Jim? Are you big on Halloween? Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite horror film, but you know, even from a technical level, it's it's really impressive. You've got the steady cam, which uh, you know shows a lot of POV shots from Michael's point of view, which I believe up to that point wasn't really something that had been done in film before. Um, so you know. It was pretty much breaking new ground in more ways than one. Mm. And because uh, uh, I think they spent most of the you know, ca- uh, camera budget on but the newfangled Steadicam. And, and as I said, that, you know, it sets it from the opening scene. It's just incredible. You know, we, we see everything that's going on. And then the big reveal that, oh, this is just a kid. Mm. And and then you've got the slow stalking throughout the next day where Laurie's going to school, going, going home, going to friends, going to drop the keys off at the house. And we see Michael just appearing here and there from behind the hedge, driving around in the car. It just builds it up really, really well. And then you've got the final act of him stalking the babysitters at night. And again, that's done brilliantly with him just appearing in the background here and there, you know giving everyone you know shitting everyone up and it's just done so subtly and so well um especially the pov stuff couple that with carping the score as well you know which is really really good for the most part and it just all works so well together and it's yeah it's just everything they've done they've done right it worked excellent yeah, I think in terms of the sustained atmosphere, this feeling of dread that builds up and up, it does that really effectively. I've watched a film with some people who are younger 
before who found it really slow. And the thing is, it's a, it's a slow burn. Um, but at the same time, I don't think in any way it's ever time wasted. You know, like it sells the characters well, it sells the characters' relationships well. And they just like this gradual growth of Michael Myers becoming more and more of a threat as it goes on. Hmm. Like something that you got, got out of it, which you don't have at all in the new one, is that like, Nobody here has any concept of Michael My- of Michael Myers, right? For, like for most of the films, people find out about Michael Myers as he kills him, and there's just something really scary about the idea that someone else could be in your house and you're unaware of it. Like when you've got the characters just like wandering around singing to themselves and things like this, unaware that they're being watched and stalked. And I think that sense of vulnerability in a place that you should feel safe it's uh, it's, it's fantastic. And there's also something quite interesting about setting this in the kind of American suburbs. You know, you've got like a Vietnam War raging and stuff like that on the other side of the world previously. And you've got lots of people going, being sent off to die abroad. There's something quite interesting about the danger that now exists in like suburban America. Something about the idea of yeah, the place that you thought you'd feel safest, you're not. You've got mm-hmm. this guy out of the run and he's going he's gonna to stab the crap out of you. Like uh, and then Donald Pleasance, oh God, I I, I love his performance in these films. <laughs> As the sequels go on and Loomis just becomes more and more unhinged, uh, it's, he's 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 excellent. I was, I'll come back to him uh, when we talk about Halloween Kills, but uh, yeah, uh, I I I thought the characterization of this film was really good. The relatively small scale of the action was really good. And just with how relatable the source of fear was. This was filmed in 21 days wow. in the middle of spring, you know, and it's John Calm does. It was probably, I think it was maybe his third film, or his second, third film. And it's just, everything, everything's right about it. I mean, the mask itself, I mean, oh my God, it's a William Shatner mask painted <laughs> white, you know. It, it, as soon as you put on with the black eyes, as a Donald Pleasant says, and he's got the black eyes, the blackest of eyes, you know. It's kind of like Jaws. It's like a shark. As a Jim Quick rightly said, but then, you know, it, it, it's, it's the stalking, and this is what sets it apart from all the other sequels. I'm not to- even talking about David Gordon Green's latest attempts. I mean, all the sequels are followed, you know, turn into more proper proper slasher apart from maybe the original Halloween 2 in which it did keep the sort of essence of what Carpenter tried to achieve even though it did raise the body count Mm. but this film here the first one was just to get people's imagination racing you know even the end where he disappeared you can hear his breathing everyone in 1978 left us and must be thinking shit where is he <laughs> is he in my bedroom tonight you know that's a perfect ending mm-hmm. if you think if we never made another sequel to Halloween everyone would be thinking where is he yeah you know you couldn't you could even better that ending you couldn't yeah it's brilliant you've got all the different shots of everywhere he's been with just that heavy breathing over it and the music and it really really sets a brilliant tone at the end it's, it's fantastic that's what Tommy says, you can't kill the boogeyman. And that, that's how it ends brilliantly because even if you watch Halloween, you know, the new, the old one, the original one, you know, the name Michael Myers does not get mentioned in it. We know it's Michael Myers, but, you know, even even in the credits, he's called The Shape. He's, he's just dressed this figure of death, really. He's the Grim Reaper. You know, targets his babysitters, unfortunately, on Halloween night. An argument that I often hear people making about some 
some of the older sorts of horror classics. Uh, so Frey is good for its time. Um, when people, like for instance, when people talking about uh, some of the Hammer ones, will sort of qualify it by saying it's it's not necessarily so effective now, but it was, it was really good for its time. Or sometimes about creature features. With Halloween, you don't have it. It's just simply a good film. It's still so simply one of the best that that subgenre has to offer. For me, my favourite slasher films are probably the slightly cheesier ones, like Friday the 13th Part 4 is probably my favourite slasher. But at the same time, there's just something classier about the Halloween films, particularly the first one. And I think the sort of film noir kind of influence on it is really good. Yeah, but to be fair, I mean, I, I've had arguments many times with Friday 13 fans, you know, Jason's better than Michael, and it's the most redundant <laughs> argument you can think of. Because at the end of the day, and if Sean Cunningham and everyone involved in Friday 13th in 1981 basically admitted they wanted to rip off Halloween. But they knew they couldn't get that essence or that scary thing. So what they done was they filled it full of blood and go. You know, Kevin Bacon's neck in, you know, underneath mm-hmm. the bed. It was just over the top go, and they actually worked. And this is why Jason, this is why the Jason, uh, the Friday Thirteenth film with Jason is is full of these kind of scenes where because they know they couldn't copy what Halloween done, so they went the next step. And of course, that found the audience as well. The trouble we had with the Halloween is, I mean, I'll go back to the sequels now, and not the latest films, is that by the time, by the time Michael Myers come back in Halloween Four. Forget about Halloween 2 for a minute, because that basically finished the franchise there and then, mm. didn't it? Yeah, that H2O moment. But by the time we turned up in 1988, the slasher boom was very over anyway. I think Jason was on his way to Manhattan before, you know, b- before Michael came back into the field. Uh, it's like he started his party, be Mr. <laughs> so by the time we... Be- <laughs> but, you know, but, but so by the time we got to Halloween 4, I mean, they would jump... They would, they themselves then would jump in on the Friday the 13th Badwangan and all the other films that fall, you know, that went before it. High up, high body count. You had to show a bit of blood. And this is why every sequel since, and it's maddening if you're a horror fan, especially a massive Halloween fan like I am, that no one director, maybe H2O with Steve, Steve Mina, you know, he, he probably done it more than anyone, does not catch the essence of what Halloween was, the original film, in which was forget about the blood. Let's just make the most frightening movie ever. Mm. Uh, Ross, wait, wait. Be correct in assuming that Michael Myers is also your favourite killer. Yes. Why? What's so good about Michael Myers? Because of what he is. I mean, there's just no remorse. I mean, you, he's, I see. I don't. I don't spoil my feelings for Halloween kids, <laughs> right? The original Halloween and Halloween Two, which I'll because we know doing ranking, I will say, do I think Halloween Two in the nineteen eighty one is probably the best sequel? Uh He's a human being. It's sheer willpower. You know, it, it, I get the fact about the sister angle, which was absolutely nonsense by the time we get into Halloween 2, and this is why he had the motive, because I think once you give a boogeyman the motive, the scariness goes. But he's just a human. You know, Jason's a zombie. Yeah. You know, by the time he comes to Jason 6, you know, Freddy, he's in, he's, he comes in the dreams. Chucky's a fucking doll. <laughs> You know, he's a good type doll who runs around. <laughs> but Michael Myers is just a who he's just he's either a he's either a brother or in the later ones he's an uncle who seriously wants to kill members family. When he gets to Halloween six, he shags his niece. That's a different <laughs> subplot. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, and every and they, all Halloween fans are more concerned about that in the Vorm zombie version. You got Lori Stored Mark II fingering a bagel in front of her parents, but no one mentions that moment in Halloween six. <laughs> 
But in my eye, this is why this is why Michael to me is a human being, sheer sheer willpower. And I think Halloween one, Halloween two, and H two O proper catch that essence of this madman in the William Shatner mask. What about yourself, Jim? Who's your favourite on-screen killer? Uh, it got to be Freddy. Um, uh, there was a period of time where I probably watched the films over and over again. I just went through a phase of being pretty much obsessed with it. Um, and it's still, the first one is still one I can watch over and over again. And it never fails to impress me. Uh, again, it's as much the technical level as the story and, and uh, the characters. It's just, I've always found that fascinating. You know, we, you can go into dreams and obviously it gets sillier as the, the films go on. They try and, you know, up the ante on the way people are killed and what, what's happening in the dreams and so on. But yeah, it's always one that's fascinated me more than any others. I mean, I think with... Um with Freddy, you've got such a good central idea there. I think with Michael Myers, he's not my favourite. I sort of, I agree that the human aspect's interesting, although I sort of always almost think of him as being a bit like the xenomorph from Alien. You know, he's just strategic, picks people off one by one, and the sort of the unknowableness about him is what makes him quite interesting there. Like, what turned him? Like why did why did a kid suddenly do this? Is he you know is he a supernatural force? And it's almost as you said, it's a question that gets less interesting the more that we try and answer it. However, I think my favourite ones I prefer Jason. Um, for Jason, very, very I, I don't know if you would necessarily make a Friday the Thirteenth film right now. I think there's something about having a killer who's written as mentally handicapped that I don't think would fly right now. At the same time, what I do like about Jason, uh, Jason's characterization, is that we kind of want to kill the kids too. So you're always on Jason's <laughs> side in these sequels, like ignoring the first one altogether because it's not Jason that's in it. There's something about uh, Jason as a character which just, uh, you know, he's kind of the underdog here. He's a uh, he's a kid who was abused, and uh, he was probably abused by the sorts of kids who are now staying at the camp. Horror fans tend to be kind of outsiders a lot of the time, and I think this is something that you connect with in Jason. Um, but I also really, really like Jigsaw. I think it's because being the youngest member of a team here, uh, or at least Steph's not on this podcast, being the youngest person of the team, the Saw series is the first franchise I saw every entry of at the cinema. So it's just got a special place in my heart. The iconography associated with Jigsaw is very cool. Like the pigs, the puppets... Uh, his Tobin Bell's performance, the deep voice, just brilliant. What were the jigsaws that followed? <laughs> <laughs> Apart from Tobin Bell, or it's just the character itself, what he stands for? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the other people in, in the Saw films, I always liked the soap opera element to it, like the, uh, ooh, Hoffman versus Jill stuff. That was always fun. But I do think the Saw films, uh, while it's rewarding to watch them all on the road, I'm not going to pretend for a moment for a similar quality to each other. Like the first one and the, uh, the first three and the sixth one are the good ones. Also, Chucky, I'm a big fan of Chucky. I remember I met Jennifer Tilly once for an interview and uh, Jennifer Tilly was talking about why she enjoys Chucky as a character so much. And she said, I just love the, the joy that he takes in what he does. And you know, for her, the character represents the, 
kind of joy that fans have in horror films. Because Chucky just has a great time. He's laughing his ass off as he's <laughs> killing people in a way that not even Freddy does. So I think this is something quite like quite quite almost quite adorable about Chucky. I think you answered. I think you answered. You know the question earlier when you said about you know Halloween being a slow burn, and this is why you know Jason's got such a massive fan base. He probably got he's probably got a bigger fan base than Michael Myers. Mm. You know, because the fact of the matter is, if you go into a party, you'd probably watch Jason Lives than you would Halloween. I still don't get why Randy took thought it's a good idea to watch Halloween <laughs> in the party and scream. <laughs> you know, it's absolutely nonsense. It, it, Halloween is like a serious, serious horror, but with Jason, you can guarantee you're going to have fun. Mm. And I, I can't see more about but Halloween kills. <laughs> so I'll move anyway, on. <laughs> yeah, so there's probably people sitting there going, they said they talk about Halloween, never talk about Jason. Well, let's return to Halloween. Could yeah. Halloween have worked as an anthology like they planned with the third one? Oh, of course it would. Look, there's, uh, there's a way of looking at this. I think Halloween, I think I love Halloween 3, yeah, by same. the way. I mean, it's, it's probably got the best ending of the entire franchise. You know, knock it off, knock it off. You know, it's 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 fa- absolutely fantastic. I think it could have, but of course, what effect did have the take-ins as well? Because I, I think it came out too soon. Halloween 3 I think the title was wrong for it as well because I know they they, they wanted the brand but everyone going in expect to see Michael Myers and end up watching a film called Season of the Witch which I can remember there's no witch in it anyway it's about uh, Stonehenge and this mad Irish man or something oh, where, you I know, love I can remember. the villain in this <laughs> <laughs> I, for, for me this, this was a series high point um, well obviously no it's, no it's not as good as the original one but for the sequels, I I just thought this is one of the, definitely one of the better ones. The, uh, the 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 really dark humor in it is so distinctive. Like it goes places that you are not expecting it to go in terms of how dark it gets. So I mean, anyone listening to this, I hope has already seen it. But the, the way the film ends with loads of kids being about to die, <laughs> and I, I, I just thought it was so out there. Like, the soundtrack's really good. The kind of paranoid 80s thriller elements are really good. This bizarre relationship between Tom Atkins and the uh, is it the nurse that he's shagging on the side, where you're like, oh, no one wants to see this, this these two pairing up. Hi, <laughs> Tom Atkins. It's a sexy mother. You know what in this film. Everyone wants to be Tom Atkins in this film. Let me tell you. <laughs> He's a guy all the guys want to be and all the girls want to be with. Tom Atkins for James Bond. Um, uh, yeah. Do I live up on Halloween 3 is the tagline? This time, oh, was it? This time nobody came home. This time, the it, night oh, no come on. Came home, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I think the night no one came home, but they must have to watch the telly. Uh, <laughs> that sort of defeats the plot. But what I love about Halloween 3, 3 is if you watch the beginning of it, you swear you're watching to admit that. Yeah. <laughs> you sit there thinking hang on it's just a terminal film the music and all that and you actually think they've ripped off James Cameron yeah? the fact that this, this was came out before Terminator is absolutely freaky so you makes you think well did James Cameron a secret fan of Halloween 3 <laughs> the, the premise for it is so weird and so good fun like I just try and imagine the look on the suit's faces as we're going okay well we made some bank at the first two Halloweens what do you want to do for the next one they're like well why do we do this film where it's about a bunch of magic masks <laughs> and then some snakes come out of her face, right? And you're like, what? The, uh, then they're like, oh, why? They're like, well, oh, some shite about Stonehenge. 
Oh God! Uh, I, I, I thought oh. this was fantastic. Really, really good fun. And you know, if he had done it, gone down that route, if he had gone down the anthology route, I think they could have had an absolute blast if they just made them all films about the Halloween season. They could have. They said the film flopped, and then of course when they had all the Friday Thirteenth films and everything, massive success. So they wanted to bring back Michael. Then they, you know, they wanted to, they needed this Pokemon back in back in play obviously John Carpenter said no but then Susan the Whites went back to the company in 1988 obviously Halloween 4 came out but it's interesting you say about the anthology if Halloween 4 stuck to the original ending then we probably would have had a real special franchise here. Mm. you know I mean Halloween 5 was set out to be Jamie and the fact even Donald Pleasant signed up for it and the fact they, again, because of the, the the failure of Halloween 3, they thought they couldn't make Halloween 5 without Michael Myers in it. They went back in to, oh, he survived again, which I think that point of the year, you know, he got shot down and fell down a mine, you know, a, a mine, mining thing. And a strange man had to rescue him for you. Stupid. <laughs> they could have had something really special there if they had the balls to carry on. And I thought, you know, but obviously they didn't and we ended up where we are now. Did you know um, Carpenter and Hill involved with the, with the third one at all? Like, I know there are producers on it, but do you know if they had much creative input whatsoever? I think they did, yeah. I think they were they were partly involved. They weren't majorly, majorly involved, you know, but they, they had their hands in it. So I think Tom Lee Wallace, who was part of the original Halloween films, one and two, he, he directed it. So, yeah, they, Carpenter had his hands in the middle of it, but he... He had a bit of influence, but you know, he he did step back. It's interesting, like with um, with Carpenter, he speaks nowadays about quite openly about doing things for the money, right? But it also occurs to me that if he'd be, always been motivated by the by the money, then he would have just made a whole ton of Halloween ones. He'd have gone fuck it, you know, I'm just gonna we're just gonna release we're we're gonna release uh, tons of these while the slasher genre is booming. And especially that he didn't really want to do that. Like, I respect that he had this major property now, or something that could be a major property given where the market was going. And he decides, all right, well, rather than going down the easy route of just making another Michael Myers film, we're going to do this weird little dark comedy about masks. Well, yeah, yeah it's, it's a good idea. I mean, you know, I don't think any other franchise, especially now with the modern era, would, would do this. You, you can't make a jigsaw film, a soul film, without, you know, hang on, let's change tack, let's make it about Stonehenge. <laughs> <Come out laughs> the <sofa. laughs> yeah. There's no jigsaw, but we're going to call it so. But it, it was a very brave approach for a film that came out too soon, right in the middle of the boom of the of the slasher of the 80s. I mean, I think it came out at the same time, I think, as Friday the 13th Part 3, which by then, of course, the famous ski mask, Jason's taken over then. Mm. So it did get lost in the mix, which is a massive shame because I'm so glad now that this has found, this has found the level of the last 10, 15 years. Because before then, about 20 years ago, Halloween wasn't even talked about. But I'm glad that there's fans out there appreciating appreciating what it achieved because it's a fantastic horror film on its own forget about the Halloween film people weren't called Halloween 3 and called Season of the Stone Edge I think we were talking <laughs> about a fantastic film here did you enjoy it Jim? yeah you did, I, thought, I thought it was good uh, I'm, I, I wouldn't go as far as praising it as much as you have been but uh, it was perfectly fine it, I think had it had a bit more money behind it it would have looked a lot better because it, it, it has got massive TV movie vibes you know from the beginning and the a, a lot of what goes on in it is pretty stupid as well. I mean, you, these 
mechanical assassins. <laughs> just, I, I don't know. It's just just a bit too daft. But um, yeah, overall, it's a, it's a perfectly entertaining film. Um, I, I wouldn't rank it as one of the better sequels myself. And it would have been an interesting direction to see if they had gone the whole anthology route with the rest of them. But yeah, it's it's fine as what you know what it is. Um, a, a pleasant diversion and as you say it's got a great ending but I, I wouldn't quite say it's as brilliant as some of the other Halloween films but it wasn't a flop oh. it was made for 2 million and it, it, and uh, I think the box office was 14 million hmm. which is not a bad turnover in 1983 so you know to say it's, uh, this is box office bomb is quite unfair on everyone involved you know it, it took his money it tripled his money back it's just a Back then, fans wanted Michael Myers back. Mm. Uh, you know, the clamour was there, even though he burned to crisp and along with Donald <laughs> Presence in the in the end of Halloween 2. And he got shot in the eye twice, uh, in both eyes, you know, which made him blind. It was totally ignored. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was a brave attempt by Calm Down Wallace and Deborah Hill, but sadly it uh, it didn't quite work out, unfairly. Uh, folks, this brings me to the next question. Of the sequels, not including either of the new ones, which I'm sure he'll piss off Ross because he was just going to see <laughs> Halloween Kills, what is your favourite Halloween sequel? I'm going to say four. Hmm. Um, it was... It started off pretty well. I mean, it, it had a good good enough follow-on from the second film. Uh, I mean, it was stupid enough to have both... Loomis and Michael surviving uh, that inferno. Um, and obviously Loomis is scarred as a result of that. <laughs> and, yeah, he got um, up lightly. <laughs> yeah. He's scarred, but his court survived. He's obviously got the cartoon wardrobe, hasn't he? Every coat hanger is the same <laughs> beige duster. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it, it does go down the usual slasher trope route at this point but i like the, the little things like the uh the, the vigilante group that gets whipped up and i've got to say there is a bit of a lull but then we get to that ending and it was just wow that you know that made up for what i would say is a bit of a shaky you know, third act for the most part. Uh, I was starting to lose a bit of interest. And then, you know, you've got Michael being shot down the well and all that. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's uh, Jamie's mum's being stabbed. And you think, how did he get out of that? And then, obviously, it flips the perspective and it's Jamie stood at the top of the stairs. Oh, that is incredible. I mean, like, the, the film's how old now? And I'd not read anything about the twist so i was really happy about that and i'm sorry for just spoiled it for anyone but you know that that was one hell of a twist and that elevated it way higher than i would have probably rated it up to that point good choice i i absolutely love that one as well i think it's uh, it's not my favorite sequel so come to in just one sec but i think for me halloween 4 is maybe the one that comes closest to recapturing the atmosphere of the first one it is more of a slasher direction, but it's also got a bit more of a stalker elements. It's got a bit more of a kind of quiet suburban stuff. Mm. And I think it's probably, this is just before the series gets ready to go into this really silly curves of foreign angle, which we'll discuss in a few yeah. minutes. 
Um, Although they they do kind of push the supernatural killing machine bit, though, don't they? With where he mm. basically takes out an entire police station. Yeah, true, true. I mean, that that does also come down to one of the series' other recurring motifs, which is completely inept police force. But um, oh, my <laughs> my favourite sequel out of them all is uh, Halloween H2O. I absolutely love Halloween H2O. For me, this is the only one where the brother and sister angle works. I think it works phenomenally when you've got uh, this new version of Laurie who's just, her whole life has been dominated by this one night. And yet, unlike the new ones, which make her kind of Sarah Connor figure, I like that we've got a much more relatable form of trauma here. You know, this is someone who's, on face value, they've got a mate with him. You know, she's got a very good job. She's, she's got a kid. She's, uh, she's doing all right for herself. But she's still just unable to fully get over what happened there. And I really liked the kind of show of strength that we've got of her going back to confront Michael Myers, back to fight this, this trauma. And I thought as far as recapturing some of the slasher fun goes, it's obviously capitalizing on, on films like Scream coming out. Hence, we've got Kevin Williamson as one of the uh, co-writers on it. But it also just seemed to be doing quite a bit of service to the original. I think the fight scene we get out of her and Myers at the end, the, the bit where she's sort of stalking him too, it was a really good bit of cat and mouse, and maybe the series at its most tense. But only bad thing about this film, I reckon, or the only particularly bad thing about this, the soundtrack was a, was, it was an, an, a real example of why sometimes less is more. The orchestra, it was just, I know they were using some of, some of the John Carpenter motifs, but as a soundtrack, it felt so generic and really lost something from the rest of the series. But I love Halloween H2O. It's my favourite of the sequels. I think H2O, I got, when I went to the cinema in 1988, I left so angry, so frustrated that because of that final shot. Because don't forget, you know, this was an Eva. I also call Halloween H2O the Halloween, the Scream version. Because it's basically, it's, it's, it even got the Scream uh, theme a little bit in the film. If you catch it, quick, if you catch it quickly, it is made for the scream, scream audience. So I left that the cinema night and I so annoyed that they killed Michael Myers off. You know, I think you can't do that because I said, don't forget, this was an era where uh, there was no remix. Mm. I mean, I think we were away from seeing Norman Bates masturbate in a psycho <laughs> remake. <laughs> you know, yeah, that really did add to the original. Thanks, Gus. And. <laughs> There's, there's no such thing as different timelines like it is now. So I sat in a cinema thinking, oh my God, they just killed Michael off. There's no coming back here. Obviously, Halloween Resurrection pissed on that in the first 10 minutes in the next film. But now over the last years, I think it's absolutely brilliant. You know, it, it's close as it can get. And for for a trilogy of films, if you watch Halloween and Halloween 2, then H2O, I think it's perfect for the franchise. Mm-hmm. I think you've got the I think you've got the Laurie Strode story there. You know, she survived. She survived the first one. She fought a little bit back in the second one because she found out then why uh, Michael stalking her. And then, of course, then you got H two O, which ends her ends her journey. And quite rightly said, I think she's better portrayed in this than she is in the two thousand eighteen film, and also Halloween Kills as well, in which she does show a lot of strength. She she's still got the drink problem. You know, she's. She's meeting a guy who the headmaster of the school, or if he entered a George Clooney lookalike competition, he'd probably come second. <laughs> and I think it's just a perfect end to the original Halloween story. Yeah. Less said, less said about Halloween Resurrection. It's the better. a sort of standoff that we're getting between the two of them. There's some, there's some emotional gravity to this. 
we're getting this movie that's at once quite an intimate drama story, but it's also quite an epic finale to the series. Now, I don't know if you guys saw the video of Jamie Lee Curtis talking about the decision to uh, kill off Michael, but she claims that as we were filming this, as we were putting this together, someone came to her, one of the suits was saying, look, uh, it's actually part of the contract. We can't kill Michael. Right, and uh, so she was like, "What? You know, I want I wanted to do this film, provided that we did kill Michael." And uh, apparently, it's Kevin Williamson who came up with the compromise. Said, "Okay, what about we don't kill Michael, but Laurie believes he's dead, and so do the audience. Like they knew at this point they were <laughs> going to be making a, an eighth one, but they're saying, look, the character still gets her closure. She thinks that she's killed him. The audience think he's dead, but he isn't dead. And then the, the studio agreed to that. And so did Jamie Lee Curtis. So she was saying in the interview that the reason she came back for Resurrection was she insisted that they want to get that ending, that she had to get to have that closure, and so did the fans. But at the same time, that she wanted there to be consequences for Laurie having killed the wrong person. Oh, for goodness sake, that's nonsense. <laughs> I've never seen I've, I've never seen a film like Halloween Resurrection destroy everything good about H2O. We'll, we'll, we'll come to, we might come to Resurrection in a moment. Can I, can I just say about H2O, what it also contains the best Easter egg ever in any horror film, in any oh, film. The, the that bit, which I took, that bit with her mother, Janet Lee, you know, and she walks off and the psycho music's playing and she goes in the psycho car Oh, my dad is just absolutely perfect. I love that moment. I do. I loved it then. I love it now. And like you said, David, I, I would agree, I would disagree with you maybe five or six years ago. But over time, I think H2O always the has improved massively, especially when you compare it to the new ones we're going to talk about later on. My favourite Halloween sequel, I won't count Halloween 2 because I think it's a direct continuation from Halloween original. But I'm with Jim, I think Halloween 4. It's the one I always go back to. It's my Jason Lives of the franchise. You know, I know we're stupid. I know we're moments. It's dumb. But I do love... I think the first 20 minutes is fantastic. I love the bit where Donald plays and meets Michael in the mm. cafe. And he says, don't go back. And then he shoots and the garbage blows up. And Donald plays like John McClane diving over the fire. You know, my God, you're a doctor, man. You're a doctor. <laughs> And I also when I also love the moment. I remember watching this when I was, I think I was 11 years of age. And I couldn't get my head around it at the time. It's so stupid now looking back. It's when Rachel's with Jamie and Donald plays and grabs her. And she points, oh, look, Michael's there. And then the cop goes, look, he's over there. Over there and it's two of them. Uh, yeah, and I just yeah. remember sitting there thinking, oh, my God, there's two Michael Myers. He's got a brother. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, they take the, they take their mask off. And it's Halloween. Hey, great laugh. But then when the car drives off, Michael's banged him. <laughs> where'd, he, where'd he come from? <laughs> but that's the cheese, and that's why I love Halloween 4. And if you catch a moment as well, I don't know if you noticed on your watch, Jim, there's a moment where they grab Donald Players and he chucks him through the school door. Mm. Yeah. When in the climax, yeah. if you pause it carefully, Michael Myers is wearing a blonde wig. Oh, <laughs> I hope that's a fitting tribute to Mr. Ben Tramer. <laughs> oh, how can you mention Ben Brilliant. The most unfortunate death in the entire franchise. Every Halloween, I light a candle for Ben. <laughs> He's just crossing the road wearing a Shatner mask. <laughs> That's not the that he doesn't look like Michael Myers, but that is not the first time that happens in the franchise. Uh, 
But at least, but at least Ben Sheamus sort of looked like Michael Myers. Yeah. I will get to him on about in a bit. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I know, wild, I, I know where it? you're going. <laughs> 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 uh, but, uh, yeah, like, Ben Dreamer fucking ex- he explodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's carrying a shopping bag. <laughs> when they, they think he went shopping, oh look, it's Michael Myers. Hang on, he's carrying a shopping bag. Oh, you must have been, he must have been as does before. Hey, here we go. Amazes me about Halloween uh, Resurrection is uh, so Michael Myers. The Myers house has electricity in it. I like to believe that Myers has to pay the bills, <laughs> or has to go and dine every so often to sign on for social security. What way or the Someone's paying that bill. <laughs> Anyway, um, oh, go Halloween Resurrection. On the subject of Halloween Resurrection, is that anyone's least favourite in the series? Because it's not my least favourite. I want to count the Rob Zombie films because I think that's a different Yeah, we'll come to them separately. But, yeah, so for the overall thing, then, yeah, Halloween Resurrection is absolutely appalling. It didn't help that my little eye came out a couple of months before Halloween Resurrection. And I don't know if you look, guys have oh, seen yeah. that. It's a, fan- it's a fantastic film, my little eye. But, oh my god, everything is so bad. You know, danger teamment. <laughs> I felt danger teamment watching this pilot shit. I thought trick or treat motherfucker was the best bit of it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Do you know the best part about it? And this is the part many people miss. Now, Laurie Strode is in a mental home, right? I, I, I think that's the right word, a mental hospital. Mm-hmm. He busts down a security door. He walks through it, right? I think, my god, this man's got strength. But then at the end, then he's in that, when he's in the Halloween, his old Michael Myers house, his own house. Uh, I can't remember the final girl. She puts a wooden chair up against a wooden door, which is rotten. And he's shaking the door and can't get in. And I'm thinking, what the heck? You can bust through a medical security door, but you can't bust through a wooden door that's probably been rotten for 40 years. Oh, the, the film is awful, guys. Honestly, it absolutely is. Where did he where, where did he find time to change? You know, he killed that guy. He went downstairs, stripped into his pants. <laughs> Oh, come on. And then he walks off holding a knife. That's the best thing. He walks off to all the coppers holding a knife into the distance. Oh, guys, it's awful. <laughs> Absolutely awful. I think my least favourite in this series is part six. I think the reason for this is part... No, Part six, uh, it's, it's the furthest away from the source material. You're like, how the fuck did this whole, like... Ah, uh, yes, the curse of Myers. Myers must die the hands of Myers and stuff like this. Like, it was a way of just taking what should have been a really simple formula and then just bringing in all of this kind of crap to it. Like, oh, yeah, you know, it's this cult, ritual, sacrifices, rituals, the telekinesis element from part five being carried across. At least part five had Donald, uh, Donald Pleasance giving the best Loomis speech. Yeah, his whole speech about the rage and things. That was that was good. Yeah, but in part by part five, he puts Jamie in danger. That's the only thing I don't like about part oh, five. Goodbye, yeah, all, all his all, all his bearings oh, are gone. Yeah. He's actually, I guess, off. He's off in it's way. Yeah, hey, well, Michael, take Jamie. Hang on, Don. I can buy that. Screen time, yelling at the kids as well. There's always been something quite unhinged about him. You know that he would gladly kill Michael, for instance, right? And. As it goes on, it gets more and more urgent for him. This, I, I guess what he's doing with the new film does, which is when you chase a monster, you have to become a monster, right? It's just this stretch of the arc across four films. I agree that Loomis in part one wouldn't have knowingly put a kid in danger. Loomis in part five, I reckon he's got so much guilt about Michael still being there that he's willing to do it. <laughs> Look, he could offer, if he offered Tina... 
I saw I saw a party because Tina's probably the most annoying character in any sort of franchise. But to offer little Jamie, I was like, "Come on, Donald, you're losing the plot, yeah, yeah you know." He's it's 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 just hard. Oh. Uh, but then I, this is a lot of good moments in Army 5 to make it worth a watch mm. and I'm not talking about the two coppers with the music <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like Lon and Hardy turning up that only happened once didn't it like, just yeah. it happened twice oh. it happened twice and the reason why you done is because the director was a fan of The Last House on the Left and Wes Craven contained that music right. or something when the two coppers turned up in there and that's the ozone but it's so out of place when I, first, when I first heard it I thought oh is this the kind of film it's going to be but then nothing else it's, what? <laughs> the, the only reason I can think of to include it is they have to make the police look a bit incompetent so that they can't be relied upon to solve things like, yeah, I mean, well, that was telegraphed pretty clearly. Wasn't it? Yeah, I guess it's that hot fuzz thing, you know, of, all right, here's a cop in a small town. What do these guys do? But in this one, like, like it's just, <laughs> I don't think it works. But weirdly, uh, I, I can't dislike it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's very strange. Uh, a lot of it is terrible, but I couldn't stop watching. I couldn't, I, you know, I, part of me was like, why are you still here? But another part of this is great. <laughs> uh, he, he, he kills that poor hermit for no reason. Now he's, he's lying in a coma for a year. Yeah. He didn't get up and say thank you. <laughs> he then, we then find out that he's been in a coma, he's been laid out for a year, but Jamie has aged two years. So that makes no sense. She's then got a psychic link with him, like in Jaws, Jaws 4. <laughs> <laughs> but then I'm, I'm, I'm criticising it, but then, there's some honestly there's some okay the mask is stupid the mask is over long it's over, it's over his shoulders you know it's like William Shatner's been stretched in a washing machine but there's some really good when Jamie's trapped in that shaft in the house mm, that is a pretty yeah, intense scene you know and I'm thinking whoa you, you actually felt danger for Jamie but there and then I like that bit when she's in the coffin and she asked him to take the mask off and that little tear and I, I did like that bit as well. And then the rage come back again. So there is some very good moments in there. But then you can see how with all the Halloween films, even Halloween Resurrection, which is absolutely appalling. But there is some good moments in that as well. But David, have you seen Halloween 6, the producer's cut? Yeah. Now, I don't remember the producer's cut well enough to have a strong stance on how much better it is. But the ending, at least, made a bit more sense. Whereas in this one, Loomis is like... You guys, like, how much of a slap in the face is this? It's all pleasant, by the way. This guy's like, yeah, you kids go. I got some stuff to do. And then dies off screen. <laughs> like, it's like, I'd like Lewis to go. You kids go and then just drive, and then, like, you know, we drive off or something like that. Or at least we don't even see Loomis afterwards. So I have a bit of reshot footage where folks go, I hope Loomis is enjoying his retirement. <laughs> <laughs> Something different from he goes in, gets killed off screen, and then it's like in loving memory of Donald Pleasant. <laughs> like, <a, laughs> like, I bet he'd be proud. Yes, I think the producer's cut feels more of a Halloween film. There's a couple of shots with Michael in the background, you got the music as well. I got a soft spot for the sixth one, I gotta be honest. So don't forget, I think, in, I think when this came out, it went number one in the box office above seven. Can you believe that? Only for a week. <laughs> you know, only for a week, granted, but still, you know. But I, but I got a soft spot for Halloween 6. Hey, it gave us Paul Rudd, that's something good. That's the main thing, yeah. The, the proper Tommy. Well, you didn't get a mob party. Never mind, I'm not saying anything so, anymore. Jim, what's your least favourite Halloween film? Uh, it's got to be Halloween 2 the, uh, from Rob Zombie, but if we're discounting the zombie films, then yeah, Resurrection. The only thing I remember from that is having a really bad stomachache near the end. 
<laughs> I, I had to I had to stop watching for a little while whilst I was doubled down in pain, but it's terrible. You all like Jim. Well, one redeeming feature, I quite like seeing Starbuck from Battlestar in it. She done a good thing a couple of uh, last year. She done that, I think last Halloween. She watched it with the fans on Twitter, didn't she? <laughs> and it was quite fun actually. Yeah, and then she was laughing how bad it is. It's a terrible film, Halloween's version, and it's directed by Rick Rosenthal, who actually done the original Halloween oh, too. Shit. Yeah. So, you, yeah. so, so you actually think you actually think I was going in and thinking this is going to be good. You know, how is he going to come back? Was it a dream? Is he going to step out of a shower, which would have been a much better premise? <laughs> I'd rather Lowe wake up in bed thinking who's in the shower and this Michael Lair with his mask on, you know, putting a bit of Lynx Africa on. But no, <laughs> frankly, I, I'd be surprised if you just say, Steve Miner, please make another movie. Like, if I... He probably saw the script and thought, you what? <laughs> That poor man at the end of H2O. I can't even watch H2O now. When he got the man, he's, he's begging for his life. <laughs> the music plays, his head's bobbing on the grass. Jamie's so content, thinking the poor man, he's got a family. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> poor Howard from the hostel. There's, there's something so fun about the, the way that like 24 years later, after uh, eight entries or seven with Myers, right? There's something quite funny that his last of the last time he's defeated and the last part of the canon because we then get a reboot after this yeah. is being kicked by Buster Rhymes oh, um, oh that's all this is the LL Cool J moment of H12 he's <laughs> in a script he can't die but oh my god what's going on and there's, a, there's an actually deleted scene for Mario and Resurrection which I really wish they included in the film if they did it would have been five stars you got the you got the Michael Myers house and you got his car pull up and you got the music playing you know the proper John Carpenter music and all of a sudden, someone gets out of the car, and it's Michael wearing the mask. And you're thinking, oh, he's driven there. And then all of a sudden, then, he puts the car alarm on. <laughs> and I'm thinking, so Michael Myers knows how to use a car alarm. So where's he been for the last year? <laughs> <laughs> it's like one little thing, you go, the beep, beep. It's Buster Rhymes in it. His character is the only character that has any form of an arc. You know, where he begins by going, oh, I love reality TV. And by then, he's like, Fuck reality TV. <laughs> it turns on his own audience. That's the emotional arc he undergoes. I suppose you got the girl who becomes less shy and is now willing to meet her boyfriend in real life. I suppose that qualifies as an arc. Although I can't imagine being too shy to, to speak to your boyfriend in real life you're only talking to over the phone. Or the internet, sorry. But being perfectly happy to go on a reality TV show. Like, <laughs> these are two. These, yeah. are, these, are, these things, one is more pressure than the other. Anyway, I think I want to ask you guys about is the, the cult of porn. This whole idea of um, Myers being marked from birth by the mysterious cult of porn as part of a tradition involving blood sacrifices, symbols, and an ancient order. Could this possibly have worked? No. Because I think, as what Billy says in Scream, you know, no motive is scary. Mm. And the fact, you know, that, that's what makes the Halloween... You know, the original is so fantastic. You know, I, I am got I am got the issue with the sister part as well. I know a lot of Halloween fans have the Lois Jordan's sister, but it sort of helped the dynamic towards the end of Halloween too. But obviously, they had to move on, and they had that stupid end in Halloween Five where, where he was blown from prison. You know, and why? Who's the man in the Who's the man in the cow by heart? Is it John Wayne? Mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> has he come to rescue him? And of course, we've got that stupid cult which. <sighs> Uh, by the time he got to that, as you quite rightly said, David, the film lost, the, the franchise had lost any single 
uh, intelligence, let's be honest, there. He was going to the motions, trying to explain why Michael's got this rage. Well, he didn't have to. Mm. I mean, it, there's no reason why Michael couldn't go from town to town. It, doesn't, it didn't have to be Haddonfield. This is unstoppable, boogie man, but uh, it, it's, it didn't work yeah, for me. Yeah, a bit like a joke. You don't want to be having to explain it. Yes. And for me, this one was just uh, so out of sync with the original source of tension, the edge of being vulnerable in your own house. If this turns into like, oh, but imagine, imagine if your uncle was part of, was being told what to do by a cult, right? <laughs> You're like, nah. So you lose the visceral nature of the whole thing. <laughs> what about you, Jim? Uh, six is the only one I haven't seen, actually. So I uh, can't really say anything on that one, unfortunately. Well, I, I wouldn't recommend it. Does the idea of knowing why Myers does what he does, does that strike you as a good idea or a bad idea? Well, as you've already said, motive kind of takes away this scare, doesn't it? So it's unnecessary. This brings us to a totally unrelated point. Let's discuss Rob Zombie ones. Uh, I used to genuinely quite like the first Rob Zombie film, and I used to hate the second one. I don't want to open old wounds by me and Ross falling out over the second Rob Zombie one, but... (laughs) I have now come to the position of not liking the first Rob Zombie one, but actually quite liking the second. I think with the first one, it spends far too long trying to do like, here's a character study about like Michael Myers, and then just turns him into this kind of like big unstoppable force that can break down walls. Like you don't need to do both. And with the second one, there's some bad bits in the second one. Don't be wrong, everyone slags off the horse, fair enough, right? But what I liked about the second one was it said, in an era when we can't really do slashers at face value any longer because scream, then can we use the rough template of the slasher but make it a personal trauma story, a personal revenge story, this kind of thing? And uh, for me, it stretched the... Rob Zombie had a very difficult job of updating a slasher series to work in an era when slashers aren't viable. And I think he did quite well. I think I also kind of respect what he did a bit more in light of the sequels. And that's not because I think the sequels are worse films or anything like that at all. But I think the sequels were far safer films than what Zombie did. And love him or hate him with Rob Zombie. He's one of relatively few directors. You can watch 30 seconds of any of his movies and know it's a Rob Zombie film. Is that because it's his wife on the screen? He get her to play the shark in Jaws, you know. In his remake of The Blob, she could she'd have been playing the Blob CGI enhancement, you know. I, I, yeah, but I, what do you guys make of the what do you guys make of the zombie ones? Well, I'll go first because I've got probably the least amount to say. Uh, it's been it's been a while. Um, I remember watching the first one when it first aired on TV. Uh, obviously, it's a lot grimier. To try to get under the skin a bit a bit more but overall it just you know doesn't hold a candle to the original and the sequel i have actually tried a few times but i've not been able to finish i just it's shit <laughs> There's no two ways about it. it's just absolutely fucking diabolical i've not been able to finish it and uh, ross what are your thoughts on them 
I'm sorry, you lost me when he said the word Rob Zombie. <laughs> what I'm talking about? No, look, look. Talks aside, I, I again, I went to the same time an Halloween film comes. You know, I'm there in the cinema. I actually hated the remake first of all. Obviously, you would, you know. But over the time, considering you see how bad the Friday Thirteen films are, you know, the remake is, and also the Nightmare MC remake is. Uh, I think Rob Zombie actually delivered in many aspects of the Halloween. I think. It was good. It's great. His remake is great up to the point where it becomes Carpenter. You know, we have we have the the asylum with the with, you know the 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 hostel and all that where the young Michael is and Chevy Moons. You know, the, the wife's going there, man. You see a man grow to a nine foot tall giant. <laughs> I don't know the fact they feed. I don't know the fact they feed him in there. I mean, he's a tall little kid with long hair, and all of a sudden he's touching the ceiling. So I do. I did like that moment, but but then it's when it came to the Carpenter part. It was just, you might as well watch Halloween again, you know. As as for Rob Zombie Halloween 2, oh my God, <laughs> we have to talk about it. Absolutely brilliant for 25 minutes. I thought, oh my God, this is brilliant. This is going to be outstanding. And then we find that it was all a dream. From there, the film didn't absolutely recover. You know, Scott Compton is absolutely atrocious in it. I'm sorry, but she is. Uh, the writing's bad. There's so much things that doesn't make sense in the movie. I mean, it, it doesn't. I mean, how can Laurie Strode in this version have visions of a mother she never saw? Mm. I mean, why have we got a white horse walking back and forth? Why have we got Love Hurts, you know, bellowing through the soundtrack? Love Hurts, my ears are hurting. It's just an absolute awful film. And then when you see all Michael Myers with a beer, then he goes, No! At the end, I was thinking, oh, please stop this pain. Oh, something they brought back. I like to attribute to the first one. Myers eats a dog. Oh, yes. But eats a dog in every film. <laughs> that was the thing I was wondering, right? Well, the longest time, when I was watching the first one, for the longest time, when they have a bit of a bit where you, they find the dog for like, he got hungry, I thought they just meant he was killing for the first time. But then finds out that every other fan takes it that Michael Myers ate the dog. I know it's like, yeah, that, that makes more sense. <laughs> it's not like he's building up to his kills. Oh, that reminds me. Uh, there's a wee dig at the Rob Zombie ones in Halloween Kills. You've got quite a funny line about, hey, so what kind of kid was Myers? Did he like, sit around torching animals and stuff? We're like, nah, nothing like that. So I didn't catch it. I did catch it in the 2018 version in which uh, the father, I think he says, Dick or something, they were dick or something, or penis over the kitchen table, and they all go, Ooh, you mm. know, disgusting dad. And thinking, Well, you know, you know, as I said earlier, she was fingering a bagel in the Rob Zombie <laughs> version and saying the word fuck five times. So, you know, this is where we go in. But uh, I can't, I, I, I'm going to try Rob Zombie. I made a decision after watching Halloween Kills that I'm going to try Rob Zombie's Halloween to this Halloween. I am seeing it for maybe eight, nine years, and I've tried watching it three times. I have watched it to the end. But I just don't like anything about it. I don't like the Malcolm McDonald's Dr. Loomis. I think it's not the Dr. Loomis. We should be the character we know. I get what you're saying, David. He's being brave. I get that. I, I honestly do. And I do understand as well, personally, why there's the, the new version of Halloween fans like that. Like it. But for the diehard fans like myself, who's brought up on the Carpenter world, then I appreciate what Rob Zombie done to the franchise, but it's not for me. And that's me to be diplomatic. Fair enough. I guess as diplomatic as I've ever heard you about for Rob Zombie Halloween films. I don't want this to go out rated yeah. 18. I think uh, I think with him to be fair to him, like he did, he made this a series that's got a very particular style. He made it his own. And while there's something frustrating about going, oh look, now Michael Myers is part of the hillbilly family, right? Uh, 
and all the characters in it dressed like for Rob Zombie fans. At the same time, there was just something quite ballsy about it. And yeah, for, it's a lose-lose situation when you're remaking Halloween. Good on him for, for not taking the easy route. And yeah, with the second one, uh, I don't know if you're necessarily going to like it anymore. Uh, and, you know, I hate it for the longest time myself, but I think it, it gives the character of Laurie a bit more a bit more depth than, than, than I was expecting. I like that it deals with the PTSD side quite directly. And there's a really harrowing scene where Brad Dourif, you know, finds out that his daughter's dead. That whole sequence is, yeah. like, it, it, it sort of says, yeah, there are real consequences to this. I mean, Myers' MO's kind of change. He's now just killing in the most needlessly violent ways that he can, which is uh, surely a theme we'll be coming to later on. It's a very far distance from just a stab against a wall or something like, but at an age when slasher films aren't really being made and at an age when torture films were in, I like that they made the violence in it violent, but not fun. I did. One thing I will praise what I do remember that left the mark of me watching the second Rob Zombie's sequel was the death of Daniel House's character. Mm. I mean, that, that, that was hard punching. I mean, she's a she's a massive film. She's up there with Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, with the fans, with the fans' hearts, you know. I know she's playing a different character in the zombie films, but it's still, you know, it's still Jamie in her eyes. And the fact that she survived the first film and she, she died in the second one was quite... Well, I remember that being a hard punch, and I think that was the time I was like, oh, my God, I was, I was really gripped into that moment. But it's only because it's Daniel Harris as well. I remember uh, hearing a while back that the original script of the first film had Myers speaking in it, where he said one word, and Ben Chima. <laughs> and um, <laughs> me and one of my mates said this joke that he would go love. Then one night he calls me up because he was watching a film called uh, Offerings, where you have this uh, mute character who's bullied comes back to kill everyone who bullied him, and as he's dying at the end, he looks at this girl and goes love. <laughs> so when when Myers finally speaks in the second one, was it, it, it die? I think he shouts, and the director's oh die, or was it die? I thought he said it was no. I can't remember. Yeah, it's been die. You know, yeah, the, the director's cut of uh, part two, uh, which director's cut edition is definitely better from the theatrical version as well. I will watch that this Halloween, and I will tell you my opinion won't change. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's move on then, folks. We're gonna go. To Halloween H40, a.k.a. Halloween 2018. I just waited for this night. I just waited for me. I waited for him. Get out! Go on! Get inside! You don't believe in the boogeyman? Halloween H2O Part 2, otherwise just known as Halloween. What do you guys think of this one? Because when this came out, I remember it being very warmly received, and I've noticed a bit of a sea change in the way that people talk about it now. I don't think it's aged very well. No, I watched it. Funny enough, I watched it the day before I went to see Halloween Kills, and I had massive issues with it, first of all. Uh, I... The, the cinema I went to was very, very flat, i got to be honest with you. I mean, it was totally different when I went to see Scream 4, which it was bouncing and, you know, the fans were 
jumping up and down. It was crazy. It was it was, it was it, the end of coming out of the cinema and the, the end of Scream Four was like the beginning of Scream Two, which I know Jim hates. You know, you had that buzz, and I thought this was going to do really well. So the fact, so the fact that it flopped, I was a bit surprised. So when I left Halloween, and it's guaranteed if you go to the early show in these films, the only people are there at eleven o'clock in the morning. Are the diehard fans are they? You got you know, there's no couples there at eleven o'clock in the morning. You got sad men like me over forty thinking, yeah, here we go, and we all talk in the end how disappointed we were. I I got serious issues with Halloween 2018, and there's many things wrong with it. I totally understand the brother getting rid of the brother system angle, but I don't get why if they bring him back, Laurie Strode. Yeah. I mean, how can I say? What's frustrating me with the Halloween films and no directors seem to be doing it, or even no writer, they got a perfect advantage point to set off a new timeline with Halloween. The bit when Donald, I mean, with the bit when Doctor Loomis shoots Michael Myers and he falls down, and Doctor Loomis looks down and he's gone. There's a new, there's a new timeline there. You know, the series could go in any single direction. They could do Halloween 1985. But he comes back to Haddonfield. Laurie's gone. There's no Dr. Loomis. You've got no baggage. But instead, they decided to do another H40 in which H20 told the story well, which we all agreed earlier. You know, they didn't add nothing to Laurie's, Laurie's character. And the fact then, the main plot device was to get Laurie and Michael in the same room towards the end when there's no need to. If they were going to make it 40 years later, Laurie Strode does not have to be in this movie and it would have been a better movie without it. Yeah, because I think something that really fucked me off by the last act here is the way that Michael finds her by sheer chance. Well, yeah, because the doctor's a yeah. psycho. If Dr. If Dr. Coutinho wasn't a total rag, then the two of them wouldn't meet each other. And I didn't like the way that uh, at the end, going into the final fight, Michael Myers is almost in the doctor's sleep position where he's a villain that's got a distinct disadvantage. It's a house full of traps and three heavily armed women. And we never really buy that, that any of them are in particular danger. The bit where she's stalking around the house, we get some callbacks, like where he looks out the window and she's gone. That was quite nice. Just like when she's, she's outside the school window, actually. And um, I wonder if she regrets buying all those dummies because that makes her job harder. <laughs> Likewise... I don't understand why she turns off the electricity. That gives her a handicap, but does not give Michael Myers a handicap since he's killed the dark in the first one. Yeah. At the same time, I just sort of felt like, okay, Myers is still quite a decent killer here. But by removing all the other films from it, he kills more people in that stock and slash scene alone than he does in the entire original film. It almost it's having its cake and eating it, because the audience treat Michael like Michael's done all the other sequels. But the characters in it only acknowledge the first one. Why well, I just don't think that Michael Myers would be the stuff of legends. You have kids pointing this out. But at the same time, it's totally true. Why did he have to be locked up in the beginning? Okay, I would I would have loved it. I think the film would be better. When Laurie's drinking and she's watching Michael go, you know, and she's in the car and he's in the he's in the bus, the first thought, my thought, she's going to cause this crash. Hmm. And I thought that would be a better angle because she's got the guilt then, hang on, you know, she's she's got to end this. She caused the crash and he's escaped. And I thought that would be a better angle. It would have given her motive as well, you know, to be in the film. But the fact she doesn't, and as he quite rightly said, and what I laughed at when we watched it last uh, two weeks ago was she spends the, the first hour of the film warning everyone Michael's escaped, Michael's escaped. 
soon as Erno daughter is safe, they lock themselves in a panic room downstairs where the granddaughter's running around the streets. They don't give a shit about the granddaughter <laughs> or the daughter. Oh, we safe in yeah. Well, hang on, oh, your granddaughter's outside being stalked and pretty, you know, you don't care about her. It's 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 a mess. There's some one or two good moments in it, but they're too far in between. And again, I'm shocked because David Gordon Green is a massive Halloween fan. You know, he he, he classifies the original as one of the best art terms of all time. But he just doesn't get he doesn't get the essence no. of it. I mean, there were some really good aspects of it. I think the soundtrack was very nice. That was cool as that's cool as fuck. Yeah. While I thought the opening of the mental hospital was not particularly good, I loved the cut to the pumpkin rebuilding itself. They're like, ah, oh, yeah, forget everything else, we're back. That was quite nice. Yeah. And um, I did quite like the way that the character arcs were integrated with the action. You know, you've got the, the granddaughter who's uh, who, who's not doubting her grandmother, as she refers to Laurie. A very, very posh. And um, the way that, like, you know, you've got her kind of seeing her grandma. She always believed her grandma, or at least that she, at least that she wants a relationship with her grandma. Uh, you've got why Laurie would have been absolutely impossible to grow up with as your mum. And I like the way that we see the three different generations working together. That being said, it really irked me off that the daughter, uh, Karen, it irks me off that Karen didn't get killed in this film because we need to see that Myers is dangerous. Like the two people that he does kill, you've got the incel kid that he kills. And we also have the, um, we've got Vicky, the babysitter, and we also have the husband. If a husband in it, they kind of have a bit of fun with him. Like, you know, this guy's as beta male as you can be. You know, he's like, he's like, oh no, I got some peanut butter on my penis because <laughs> he can't open a jar properly, right? Um, so, but so I just never really bought that Myers was like that threatening to the leads, and that was something was something that just meant for me there wasn't much tension to it. Still, uh, you know, I think where it where it did work was largely in the kind of presentation and losing some of the goofier elements. I agree that there's not really a whole lot of reason why Myers and Laurie, like what, what Myers is really doing there. But at the same time, I like that we're back to basics here. We don't have a, hor- a white horse. There's no celebrity guest cameos from rappers. We don't have the cult of foreign here. We just have a back-to-basics Halloween film. Yeah, but did we have this in H2O? Yeah, we well we did have a rapper in H2O. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh yeah, true, I mean, true. I, yeah, I mean H2O. I do, you know, I do think H2O is a much much more successful telling of this sort of same kind of story. I mean, larger because H2O, I think, is a lot more suspense, and I think it personalised the conflict more. But at the same time, I think that this was maybe after the Rob Zombie ones. This was maybe the sort of sequel that we needed. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that, Jim. What do you think? I, I agree with you on the, you know, under. On revision, it probably isn't as brilliant as when I first watched it. When I saw this at the cinema opening night, I was absolutely buzzing afterwards. I thought it was fantastic. I've never been someone who thinks it has to stick to a certain set of rules or a certain style. And we've had enough sequels and remakes in the 40-year span between the films. So... You know, for me, it starts as it means to go on. It's it's right up there. It starts off quite intense and doesn't really let up throughout. Uh, I, I love the whole build-up of Michael getting back to Haddonfield, you know, stalking 
well, this seems to be stalking. Stalking. Walking, then, sure. <laughs> <laughs> going through, uh, yeah, like that, that scene where he gets into the town and he's, he's going through, you know, different houses and stuff. That was cool. Halloween isn't one you associate with like certain kills and so on, but I, I like the fact that added that bit to it like you've got uh the the, is it the service station and he, he walks in and he just drops the teeth over the uh cubicle door i thought that was hilarious <laughs> taking out a right out of halloween h2 all that sequence having watched a lot of the older sequels i can see a lot of where they got the ideas for this one and halloween kills from like even if it's just touching upon it there are a lot of parallels in in both films but uh yeah i, th- I think this re- you know personally this is probably my favorite after the first film what as i say it, it started you know right up there and just kept going like the music's fantastic all the way through uh i absolutely love the score and yeah just the the i thought there was attention to it and even though laurie and michael meeting is technically entirely coincidental just the whole build-up to that i thought was brilliant i loved the characters and you know i don't really hold much of a candle to any of the sequels anyway so i was more than happy with what i saw here and yeah on repeat viewing didn't quite enjoy it as much perhaps it's one that's better seen on the big screen you got the loudspeakers the big screen in front of you it's just adds an extra dimension to it and watching it on tv still enjoyed it but not quite as much. But there's loads of parts to it were fantastic. And yeah, I can't say it's a bad film at all. I do like that bit when Michael comes into town. I, and I, what I did like in Halloween Kills, this little part, and I want to like about 2018 now, is when Michael, after he's butchered that poor old woman with the arm and picks up the knife, yeah. he sees the doctor and the nurse were actually in Halloween yeah. Kills. And he's walking towards the girl and they get in the car and drive off. So I did like that touch in Halloween Kills. Oh, that's the same couple in the first one. So I did like the continuity of that. And But it's not my gun. <laughs> I, I, if, he, if it's because he's been locked up for 40 years. But as David just said, we all all the baggage should be removed now. Right, so this is not the Michael from Halloween Four, you know, from five or six. We went on the rampage. This is supposed to be Michael Myers of Halloween 1978, and we do not get this. We all what we've got in front of us is Jason. But isn't Michael wearing a William Shatner mask? Isn't all of this really set into motion because of his doctor, who's basically off his fucking nut? And is yeah, but he escaped in the he escaped in the first. Sorry, but he escaped in the first one, and he didn't go around. Okay, classic scene. I was going to keep this bit for for Halloween Kills, but I have to mention now because I think it's in the right conversation. There's a scene in Halloween Two, the original. Which is one of the best. This is why Halloween 2, the original, is probably very carpenter. Is that when he survives the fall from the balcony, the first thing he goes to is that old couple's house. I don't know if you can remember it. And she's making a sandwich. Yeah. And they're watching, I think, the Night of the Living Dead on mm-hmm. the TV. And you see him coming in behind her. She's looking at the TV, and then the news comes on about the murders. And you can see the blooded hand reaching out for the knife. And he leaves a bit of blood on the table. And then you get that one little shot of the woman watching the telly with the husband and Michael Myers standing behind them. Right? Now, that bit is frightening. Now, the scariest part of that, that moment is he walks out and leaves. Now, that's frightening. Now, she turns around and 
she sees the blood and she starts screaming, doesn't she? And that's why he, he, that girl screams next door. Michael Myers gets the gets, uh, gets detention and he kills her. This Michael Myers of 2018 would have killed a man and woman. <laughs> no questions asked. But what's more scary, boys, the fact that he's standing behind this woman and he can kill, but he chooses not to, or just butchering people for aimlessly for no need. That is the big question. If you if you get off on the gore porn, which is which I think these new set of films are, then you think these are outstanding. But if you want proper, proper horror, Halloween 2018 is not scary. It was something where they did show a slight bit of hesitancy, which, you know, when, when we were meant to think that Myers might kill a baby, then doesn't, mm. right? Yeah, I hated that bit. That, <laughs> I, 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 I liked that bit. I liked that it implied some sort of... Um, some sort of reasoning in Michael, right? And I guess, like, it is slightly undermined that he does otherwise kill indiscriminately. But that that moment to me, this, the suspense in the cinema, because there's, a, there's like a little laugh of relief when Myers just walked off. You know, the cinema people were all like, well, I don't want to see any babies get killed, but I'm okay with watching lots of other people get killed. Like, that for me is a good moment of horror. Is he going to do this? Is he going to do this? No, he's not. Okay, that's granted. But then, what? What, what is his limit? He kills that ten-year-old in the car. Yes, so you've got. So what, what, is, like, he, is, he, is, he, is he got an age limit? Is he like Robocop, a projector, you know, a, a, a directive in his brain? Right, you over ten, I love you. That was something that did fuck me off. The killing, like the scene where you've got the dad and the, and the son at the beginning. Yeah, and they're, they're trying to help as well, and then they get killed. That whole bit was sad. Uh, but at the same time, like. The, in fact, the, the other best bit of the film is the scene with all the involved kids. The bit with uh, the babysitter Vicky and the, the uh, wee boy she's, she's babysitting. <laughs> like, the, that whole sequence was so cute. Like, they were, like yeah. their relationship was just brilliant. Like, we're swearing away at each other, but they have banter. Yeah, but you, you ruin that for me now. You personally ruin that scene for me. <laughs> Because I, I watched it the other night and I couldn't get I couldn't get the words David Smith out of my head because it made me a scream, you know, when when in the toilet, but you said in the podcast, how long are you gonna stand in a wardrobe? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. that, that is a great, great. You, you can't. You can't deny that. that that's cracking. I, I loved that bit. That was hilarious. I, I really didn't want her to die. She, her death was by far the most emotionally affecting one. Uh, all of these, all of these two most recent films. I like the kid. Yeah. I did. I go. No, I, I, I like the kid. His, his reaction. His reaction was brilliant. Though. Oh, fuck this again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was the two, brilliant. The two of them were just so funny together. Like I, I loved where you know she's like, you know, you're my, you're the coolest kid that I have and stuff. He's like, yeah, you're the coolest babysitter, right? Like, ah, oh, that that was the best bit in the film. That whole sequence. Such a wee shame she died. I and I cared when she died. I didn't. I didn't care about the characters he killed. They were either anonymous or they were assholes. With her, it was a shame. I did like the bit as well with Carmen downstairs and Michael. She's called, she's pretending to be oh. upset and she got and she's got the shotgun and then you know she's pretending to be like a victim mm. and Michael mm. appears and she says that favorite, that great line you know and I think oh yeah like yeah, she's played in there. So there is tiny moments of the film which is. Well, it's it's like a proper Halloween sequel, isn't it? It's like the old ones. There's something, it's something there which will, which will make you watch again. Mm. But it's not the film for me, which I think, oh yeah, I'm so glad they brought oh, this back. But can you that Doctor Doctor Cartoon, the new oh. Loomis? Oh God, that was terrible. I did like the the false twist. You know how they, how he puts on the mask and then just gets killed almost immediately. Yeah. <laughs> that, that I thought was nice, although. 
Tell you what, right? We saw Laurie's house earlier. It was really fortified. She's got walls everywhere. How did they drive right up to the entrance from little finder? I was like, fuck this. Last time we saw this house, she was like, she had more walls than Donald Trump's house, right? Like, it was no reason that uh, Myers could just saunter up to the door like that. Never thought of that. Uh, I did like it that we've got all the traps of the weapons, and she's able to batter him with a frying pan. <laughs> oh, God. It, it, what's better? That the finale of H12, where they really going for it, or H40. You know, I'd, 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 I'd give me H2 or any other day. Yeah, I was thinking. The other film where we've got household utensils being used that way, do you get some movie movie You're Next? Where they've got yes. just that bit towards the end, you've got a fight in the kitchen and like using blenders and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh um, God. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't be wrong. Talking about Halloween 2018 right now, I'm coming towards things I actually quite enjoyed about it. But at the same time, I always sort of took it as a three star film, and it just came down to the lack of tension for me, the lack of suspense and likable characters. And I think it's also maybe a defensiveness on my part because when we're watching at the cinema, you can't lose the baggage of Halloween H2O already existing. And a way that Jamie Lee Curtis and other members of the team kind of dismissed Halloween H2 as being a bit shit. As for at least the yeah, I, again, I don't. It's an, it's, an, it's an insult to that mm. film. At least H2O, yeah, it, it dismissed the sequels before, and but it, it, it kept the notion of what Michael Myers is. But then Michael Myers weren't weren't this bloody in H2O either. He was still very Carpenter. You know, LL Cool J could have died twenty times in that mm. film. And, you know, he, he was in the shadows and all that. And it, it was much like the original Halloween. Of course, it lacked the quality and the intensity of the original Halloween. But it was building up to that last 25, you know, minutes. And that's why H2O works so well, because he's always leading somewhere. As soon as that bus drives off in the, in, for, for overnight camp and the Halloween music plays, you know, like, this is Halloween now. But you never get this with Halloween 2018. Mm. It's one tone throughout, you know. It's very dark. You got, as you say, Laurie is not is Sarah Connor, like like you quite rightly said, and Michael escapes and he just goes on a needle swampage, killing anyone in sight. There's no fun in that. There's not, you know. And uh, I give it three stars when it first came out because I was seduced by the Halloween. But when I want to rewatch it two weeks ago, it's two stars. Well, how many stars should you give it, Jim? I'd give it four. I'm <laughs> <laughs> dying inside. Ross, if you had to reboot the series, if if tomorrow John Carpenter says, "All right, fuck David Gordon Green, we're giving all the rights to Ross Hughes," what would you do for a Halloween film if you if you were able to design one? I would just do what I said earlier. I would make the I make the job on point. I'll show. So you put me a swap, you know? I got to write now. I'm a Hollywood masterpiece in five <laughs> minutes, right? I would first of all get rid of all the baggage. Like I said earlier, I would I would make a film called you know Halloween Returns. I know it's a crap title, but it's better than Halloween Kills. <laughs> and I would uh, I would show the end of Halloween again, and I would show Michael Myers falling over, Doctor Loomis going down, and then I'd have the grass, you know, the the patch where he fell, he got the mark. I'd have that then go from dark to light, so it's so it's the daylight. It'd be a couple of years past. So we'd be in Haddonfield. It's Halloween '85. Halloween is banned. But they decided to bring it back that year, something like that. You know, he's set in the 80s, which is the craze of the moment, let's be honest, and because of Stranger Things. Maybe Halloween 1985, it's been banned for six years in Adamfield. The new mayor, like in Jaws, brings it back to get everyone back <laughs> in. And you have all new characters. Laurie Strode is not involved because she's moved away. Donald Pleasance is in a conference somewhere, talk to Loomis, so he can't get back. 
and you just want to have Michael turn up that night. You can have a good offer of rebuilding characters, you know, new character arcs and stuff like that. And then can you imagine that moment when Michael arrives, you know, after an offer with 35 minutes? I mean, it'd be such a cool moment. Then the Halloween music kicks in. Then you get the caption, Halloween, October the 31st. Mm. Then you have it. I'm not saying it work. It could be a three stars, but at least it's something different. You haven't got the low restored baggage. You haven't got this memory of the last 40 years. You've got a different timeline and something new and fresh in. And then it can take in any direction. It doesn't have to be Haddonfield. Michael Myers is not tied there. He could have vanished then. He could hit another town in a couple of years. You know, he could be the ultimate boogeyman who's there and just turns up. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would watch that. What about you, Jim? Would you watch a Rossi's Halloween sequel? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've watched most of the others apart from <laughs> six. So. That was backhanded. <laughs> if he can give uh, Halloween 2018 four stars, he gave mine five. <laughs> But again, and I know I've interviewed him and I'm a bit biased. I mean, and I, I always keep on mentioning the films. And if John, who's our writer on Holocaust films, he, he told me last night he's watched the films. There's a guy out there who's directed three slasher films in the vein of Halloween called Malevolence. If Give him the gig, Stephen Mina. Give him the gig and he will deliver a massively good Halloween film, I'm telling you. It's written for him. I know there's some names that were floated around at one point. I think Adam Winger's name was floated, uh, presumably off Blair Witch, because we made Blair Witch cool again, so maybe you can make Halloween cool again. Well, there's been a couple, I mean, over the there's been so many failed concepts over the last uh, 10 years, since uh, even since H2O, when Halloween Resurrection. I mean, you're going to have a found footage one, first of all, but I think they're going to do our Jason as well. They were going to do... Uh, the one where he was all set to be electrocuted and he escapes. There's so much going on out there. There's so many good, cool ideas, but they obviously settled with bringing Louis Strode back, which which I know, I know, and I love Louis Strode, the character, but once you give another perfect end in H2O, there's no reason to bring her back. Mm. And this is the this is the the problem of Halloween 2018. Why am I sitting there watching something which they've done so well in 1988, which is quite right, David, and I think it's quite rude that they dismissed it, thinking it's a crap film. It wasn't a crap film when it came out. It was a massive box office success, and it, it did come out to four or five-star reviews. Uh, David Gordon Green's quite an interesting choice of them because, you know, you're looking at a guy whose background is with the, is mostly within comedy and stuff, films like Pineapple Express, writing alongside the guy who did the... Uh, the it was not one of the writers, the Fruit Fist Way. Yes, he did your highness as well, didn't he? That was a comedy. Yeah, that was yeah, Danny badly. McBride, that's what I'm thinking of. Danny McBride, yeah. So, yeah. They, uh, so like, it, it's a comedic group they have here. Like, this is the end as well. But at the same time, like, um, they sold the horror sequences at relatively face value. You know, they sold them as horror scenes. And I thought that was very much to its credit. But, but they, sorry, Jamie, very quiet, but I know. But they also had script approval of John Carpenter. You know, they, they send the script. So, so some John Carpenter saw this, so, you know, knows the character better than anyone and thought this was going to work. And But I don't know what Carpenter read that as fans, maybe it'd be an arse. I can understand the modern generation fans loving it, but as I say, people of my age who was brought up on the Halloween, it just left me cold. And the more I watch it, the more the more worse it gets. Mm. Jim? Well, I, I mean, obviously you got to discount everything that's come after the first one. And that's not difficult because I personally didn't like to uh, just couldn't go on with it i thought it was dull so I, I think it's a great continuation i mean obviously it's answered in the new one but somewhere between loomis shooting michael and falling out the window and 
Halloween 2018 is being apprehended again. So you've got to kind of fill in the blanks. But yeah, I, I genuinely don't have an issue. I, it's, it's its own thing. It's not following the rules that have been established since, you know, the second film onwards. So I, I genuinely don't have any issue with what happens. Fair enough. Uh, anyone else got any other thoughts you want to bring in before you move on to what I think will be the most divisive film of the evening? No, I'm fine. I think, I think I've had enough of uh, <laughs> Halloween 2008. I can't wait to go to Halloween Kills, which is a total different film. Okay, so, <laughs> Jim, anything else? Now you've ever hold your piece? Uh, no, just, um, I think you've already mentioned it, that, that cracking opening credit sequence with the uh, pumpkin reverse mm. decomposing, that, that really set the mood, didn't it? Oh, actually, one last thing I want to bring in here is I, I quite liked it for using the true crime narrative throughout it. Like, that aspect of having the podcasters was quite a good way mm. of, I suppose, building up the lore, building up the legacy, and a good, quite a fresh way of acknowledging the first one. And at the same time, like, really acknowledging modern trends and how true crime documentaries, everyone, everyone loves them now. You know, it's making a murderer or, like, serial or, like, the Amanda Knox thing, like... Folks love these kinds of documentaries, and I liked the way that they went, all right, well, we're going we're gonna to do this to basically build up a backing story for Myers, to remind everyone who yeah. Myers is. Yeah, it was spot. basically the exposition, and it just turned out they were a couple of chumps that do a podcast. <laughs> just like us. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think at the beginning when they pulled the mask out, the dogs were barking? Do they think, oh my god, you show him the mask for? Do they think, shit, put it away, he's going to eat us? <laughs> yes, that's my card in my head. Didn't want to be lunch. <laughs> uh, okay, folks, speaking of lunch, let's move on to the main course now. Let's move on to Halloween Kills. You want to kill someone? Take me! Michael! I want to take his mask off and see the life leave his eyes. Ross, you've been waiting for this. You hated this film, right? I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I thought it was a, I thought it was a masterpiece. I mean, I give it five stars. And I, where do you get that idea from? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's an absolute mess. It, uh, it. I don't think I've ever, and I've ever been so bored in the cinema watching an Halloween film. Now. Don't get me wrong, right? And we mentioned him a couple of times uh, doing this podcast. If you replaced the burning the, the burning house at the beginning with a summer camp and put a ski mask on Michael Myers, then you would have a fantastic Friday the 13th film. Because this is what Halloween Kills is. It's a Friday the 13th film, all but name. It's not a Halloween film. It's a mess. The, the plot doesn't move forward at all from the first one. Yep, I get get I get the argument. It's the second part. So the second part will struggle. But I'm sorry, but the Empire Strikes Back never struggled. <laughs> you know, they didn't. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, they they, they, they they nothing moves on from the first one. It's just mindless, mindless bloodshed, helped along by the stupid, idiotic actions of the characters. And I mean idiotic we talk about halloween resurrection there's moments in this film you just say no comedy right in this is a comedy guys 
It's not on a horror film. <laughs> what teenager, right, will go, will go... No, sorry, not teenager. A father, knowing that Michael Myers could be in that house, knocks the door, gives the sons up to his son, and then walks wait, wait, in. Wait, they're not father and son. They're gay lovers. Oh, gay lovers. No, they're not. No, the, the father and son. The father, uh, he doesn't mean Big son. John, Little John. Uh, yeah, no, 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 um, no. I forget his name. The, yeah, the, the, I, I can't remember the, myself. The, the girl's former boyfriend. From boyfriend, the, yeah. the girl's boyfriend. The father <laughs> knocks the door, gives his thumbs up, say, I'm going in, guys. Hang on, Michael Myers is there. He's, then he got a bunch of... T- yeah, he was the one that had a brush Come with on, him. Come on, Jim, don't defend no, him. I'm just establishing who the character is. Yeah. He, he's the one that had a brush with him in that flashback. Yeah, And therefore okay. was... Right, also a survivor. I thought for a moment that he got that. He knocks the door, turns on, gives a thumbs up to the camera. I'm fine, guys. I'm going in. No weapons, nothing at all. He had a handgun on him, didn't he? Oh, come on. And then he's too. Sorry, I'm I'm wondering. One of the characters is an iron. Like, one of the women of the crowd was holding an iron at one point. You're like, she'll beat me. Tommy. Tommy Doyle, who, who, you know, he has seen Michael in action as a kid, right? He thinks the only way to stop Michael is to grab a baseball bat. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's, I, I can go on and on and on. I mean, I, I'll go back to what I was about to say. Then you got towards the end, and as we race into the absolutely mind-blowing climax. Oh, my God, guys, this was a masterpiece. i got to be honest with you, right? You've got two teenager, teenagers who have seen Michael in action think they can stop him all by himself. By walking into a house. Uh, it's absolute nonsense. It really, really is. Uh, it, uh, it's probably just as bad as Army in Resurrection. Okay. <laughs> this is going to get interesting. Right. I acknowledge there's some, there's some quite big flaws with this film, right? The search party that are not a good search party. They just stick around the same building all night, right? That's stupid. It, a lot of it does rely on silly, on, on silly actions or just various plot devices. Like when I mentioned... Well, now I think you're talking about Big John and Little John earlier. It's because they see, like, you've got, I think it's Big John sees the blood and then decides that they, the two of them should go in and fight Zimber Heights. Now I thought, no, that's, uh, that's definitely not what you do. I agree that they didn't really advance the plot that much. And there were some, some pacing issues. But genuinely, I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was dead good. I, uh, for me... I thought the at- the atmosphere of it was spot on. It captured the uh, Halloween feel. I like that the the flashback sequences were brilliant. It did make mm. me want to see an actual flashback sequel since it captured the era so well. Halloween 1985. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I liked the way that they're able to kind of build up the uh, the lore from the original by having the survivors of Myers. That was really interesting, and. Whilst I thought the mob narrative was kind of badly done, at the same time, I think it was a good enough idea that I was willing to go with it. Like, I liked how you've, you've got this kind of chaotic mess as people try, as people are trying to look for uh, what they got the scapegoat, the, the inmate who looks absolutely nothing like Michael Myers. <laughs> but, like, and I know this film was meant to come out last year, so this, was never, this wasn't based upon the likes of the... Uh, the mob breaking for White House or anything like that, but it reminded me of that. This kind of uh, rage that they have, and they're sort of all right. Well, 
this guy Tommy Doyle's giving us some easy answers here. You know, let's do, mm. let's do what he wants because we're pissed and we're scared. I like to wave at the captured mob mentality, even if the story was dragged out a lot. Yeah, I. How did it feel? I'm sorry, Jim, but I got to, have to ask the question. How did it feel like an Halloween? You see, how, in what way did it feel like an Halloween film? I mean, when I say it captured the Halloween atmosphere, it's more meaning like the celebration of Halloween, not the not the. Like thank goodness. In terms of the franchise, the only thing that really associate associated it with the original franchise, I guess, aside from the flashbacks, is the soundtrack. Um, although, by the way, I tell you what, I I got oddly emotional when Loomis came on at the beginning. I was not expecting that. None of the reviews had mentioned it that I saw, and it's not a CGI either. I shouldn't have. So no, it's that's, not. It is actually look like yeah. They've yeah. got, they got a yeah, mask that, for him. It's fantastic. That blew my mind. I, I, I just assumed that that rogue wanted. Yeah. You know, just just a, you know, guy with a green dotted cover over his head, and then filled it in, you know, via computer. So, like, I mean, I thought that was brilliant as it was, but then when I found out it was actual practical effects, I mean, Jesus Christ, that was really fucking good. I, I also think although it's not a. Um, Oh, it's obviously not the same actor because he's a guy from a breakfast club here. I got oddly emotional as well seeing Tommy Doyle and uh, Laurie Strode being reunited in it. The bit where he's all like, this time it's my turn to protect you, yeah. whatever he says. Like, uh, I, I was like, oh, 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 Yeah, I thought, I thought that was a good beat. I, I, you know, a lot of the hospital scenes were daft, but I think it was to show that mobs are idiots, basically. But there, there were moments in there that were really touching I guess considering you know, and that's one of them touching Tommy in it was uh, to, like, Tommy was a moron but at the yeah. same time he Tommy was, was a moron. sorry Tommy was a moron there's an open mic in a pub everyone is having a good time and he gets up and spills it you know hey, by the way 40 years ago <laughs> half the time we even born 40 years ago a madman escaped oh, I mean at, on, at least he, he didn't he didn't go up and sing Mustang Sally so you know but... <laughs> It was interesting because we were using that as a means of establishing, I guess, this is who the characters are in relation to Michael Myers. The problem is that the film manages to give the very, very thin backing story twice in the first act. And you're like, oh, this again. I mean, just in case the audience had forgotten the earlier explanation, we have Tommy tell the story. But yeah, I, I like to wait for combining characters we saw beforehand. Even if they use footage from Halloween 2, which technically is no longer canon, I like if they establish a link between the characters from beforehand and also work the new dude into it. I was like, he was a kid but wasn't killed by Michael. Which, again, doesn't really mm. work because Michael kills a kid in Halloween 2018. But ignoring, ignoring that lack of continuity, I thought it did, it did quite a respectful job of managing to say, OK, well, this is the established lore and we're linking ourselves to it. We're piggybacking off it, basically. The only reason the flashback worked, and yeah, it's the best part of the film because it just reminds you of how good the original film was. That's the only reason that worked. Yeah, and I mean, 2021 is going to be that, that this version of Halloween Kills is going to be a drinking game because every single line, every 10 minutes was, hey, tonight's the night he's going to die. Oh, and then nice. 10 minutes later, yeah, guys, he dies tonight. And then some random doctor, yes, you've got a heart problem, but tonight he dies. <laughs> every single, every single character. You want about it earlier? 
about if Michael Myers talked, I was expecting that to happen. <laughs> I expect him to go, tonight I don't die. <laughs> yeah, I you know. it's going to be like, evil dice night, and Myers goes, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, but that was the problem. I, I, I was sitting in the cinema going, my God, if I hear this line one more time, and then when Laurie and Blinky and the chef was there, and they were sitting there going, tonight he dies. Well, not really, mate. You sit in an hospital bed, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, it's just, oh my God, will you shut that? It's just the same thing over and over and over. Recycle plot. Well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you loved it too, right, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I'd say I enjoyed this as much as oh, uh, sure. the previous one. But yeah, you I remember, there's think... 40 years between the first film and these. A lot a person can change. So people can get more stabby in 40 years. <laughs> you know? I use a technical term. Um, why, is it, why is half these people are so angry about it's, what it's happened 40 mob, years ago, by the way? It's a mentality, isn't it? It's a mob, what? They got do- you got doctors running around going, kill like, him, kill him. They're all, they're all, him. The pits, they? all getting worked up into a frenzy. And, you know, there's local kids getting killed. So they're getting that, angry. And that poor patient was like three <laughs> foot tall. He looked if like he just escaped from... Uh, Willy Wonka factory. He looks nothing like Michael Myers. He's got long hair, white gown on. Oh, it's Michael. He's the only one they noticed on the news because if you if you remember, yeah, he, he turned away when it showed Michael. So that little flimsy little bit of <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm with I'm with you, Jim. I like the screen. And the thing like, is, come on, like, in the UK, we, we had people go off to attack a pediatrician's place, right? I, yeah. I, I can imagine that this would happen. <laughs> yeah, I think it just does go to show how easily people are whipped up into a, a, a stupor like that. And, you know, that, that's just one aspect of what goes on. Like, uh, I mean, you've got the you've got the flashbacks with uh, Officer Hawkins, which I, f- I think his character is really good in this, and kind of mm. grounds things a little bit as well. Like when he's in the hospital with Laurie, he's basically so it's not all about you. Who, who says this is all to do with you? And yes, yeah, you know, it's it's as much about everyone else as it is Laurie's character, and. There's a, there's quite a few little bits in there as well that I really enjoy. Like when when they, when they're in the park, when, when they're out looking for him in, in the car, and he gets them all one by. I thought that was brilliant, absolutely hilarious. Um, it, there's the doctors and the two survivors. There was the nurse from the beginning of the original film, and you know it it, it shadows that, doesn't it? He smacks his hand against the car window. The, the other girl runs off and. Yeah, you got the nurse trying to shoot him as well. The other guy gets stabbed in the eyeball. That was great. And then you see the kids on the swings. It's like, I think this guy's a pervert. He keeps popping out from the side of the trees. <laughs> that made me laugh. And then when um, is it Tommy Doyle comes and finds them all, like they're all on the roundabout or whatever, they're all wearing the uh, silver shamrock masks. Mm, that, yeah. that was a neat little touch as well. I did like the bit where Lindsay's hiding by the tree and Michael's walking across mm. the bridge. And I, but again, that's because it, that was more in tune of what Halloween should be about. I mean, that's the scary thing. She's hiding from him. She's scared. You know, she knows that if he sees mm. her, she's dead. You know, again, you don't have to rely on blood and guts to, you know, to bring a good scare. I, I just feel as if 
David Gone Green did, does not get what Halloween's all about. It's just mindless, mindless killing. I mean, how many times is Michael Myers? How many people is I think he kills 35 people in this film. <laughs> 35 people. I think he kills more than Rambo in Rambo 2. <laughs> you know? I, 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 I agree that uh, that sequence with Lindsay hiding was good, especially because, you know, it's a bit cheap because we remember Lindsay as a kid from the first one. And that, I guess, was like, oh no, I don't want her to die. The same thing with Tommy, but like I think a lot of the goodwill for the character, the reason I was tolerating the character, was because we'd seen him as a kid previously. So we're like, all right, well, he's turning into a complete asshole as he's got older. <laughs> but at the same time, there's also just something about how scary that, that moment would have been. That, as you said, it wasn't just about Laurie. This film underlines that, hey, this is all about the effect that Myers has on the community. It's not about <laughs> her story anymore. And I thought that was good. Maybe not fully realised, but I think it was good. I think the bit with Lindsay hiding as well was also quite Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I got, I got big uh, uh, Ring Wraith uh, <laughs> vibes from that. That, that was also a, a bit of terrible planning, right? <laughs> Where with the, 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 the search party, the search party go, we want strength in numbers, and then split up. <laughs> <laughs> now I understand. You've got to be a Lord of the Rings fan to like Halloween games. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> it all ties in. <laughs> the hospital became like this sort of, let's all go there a bit for hmm. no real reason. I, I know that the reason that they've done that is because, practically speaking, it's cheaper to do that in one set than it is to go, all right, well, we're going to have a mob marching down the streets of uh, Haddonfield with, like, fiery sticks and things like that. Now that's really what the film should have should have been in some way. It's the story of Haddonfield, so I wanted to see them exploring Haddonfield. I wanted to see more of Haddonfield. And uh, I did get so I did get second act frustration a little bit with the hospital. But I think a third act made up for that quite heavily because I mm. like I loved the sequence where um obviously by the way for anyone who's got this far in the podcast, you obviously know by now we're about to spoil the entire ending, so you know. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, the bit where uh, he's chasing uh, Allison, Allison into the bit with the mob, and I was got a yes as the mob then start yeah. going to beat the shit out of him. Like, intellectually, I knew that there was no chance he was going to die since this is part two of three. But it was really quite exhilarating just watching the town, all these people who've been haunted by this character coming together and battering him. Mm, I mean, it, it was good to see, like, you know, in, in every film, you've watched even the you know now disregarded sequels that's something everyone has wanted to see you know what if they do get older you know just shoot him in the head he gets stabbed he gets beaten he gets shot but he gets up yeah there's a supernatural element towards mm. this now one that i think is where they head into i mean they, they quite said this towards the end of the film in which every kill every kill he has he transcends into this kind of entity mm. Which is not again, and I'm, I repeat myself like them in Halloween Kills, you know, tonight's the night he dies. <laughs> That's not how Halloween's all about. I mean, as you quite rightly said, I was like, ah, we'll shoot him in the head. We shot him everywhere else, <laughs> you know, end the year. And no man should get up for that. And then he done a Star Trek. You want to talk science fiction? Somehow he transported himself onto the streets back into the bedroom. Yeah. Well, it was only a couple of roads away, weren't it? How the heck is he <laughs> going to get past everyone? Yeah. Well, it's the same series where Loomis manages to walk across town because he sees a car near Michael Myers' side. Yeah, yeah but, I, I, but I know he's, I know he's, I know he's wearing William Shatner mask. But come on, he's not going to go, you know, beam me up, Scotty, and all of a sudden he's in the bloody Michael Myers' house. <laughs> How do you get for me to be in the space of? 
seconds. You know, it's just another stupid written plot plot device. But again, the last ten minutes, well, the last five minutes of the film was absolutely awesome. And again, I'm sitting there thinking, oh my god, I can't wait to watch Halloween Kills. Uh, the Halloween ends mm. next year because the the last five minutes sort of made the watch worthwhile. Like you quite rightly said earlier, they should have done that in the first film. Yeah. Yeah, but, I, I, that, that, that righted the wrong for me. Yes, yeah. Mm. But I did, but I did like how that was dark, and I was thinking, yeah. oh my god! And then he's got the cutscene, he's got the cutscene with Lovey and Michael, and he's thinking, yeah, Halloween ends, now we're gonna have the final confrontation. Mm. And what I do like about Halloween ends, the fact they've announced now it's gonna be four years later, mm. so it's not gonna be a direct, it's gonna not gonna be a direct continuation. So this could be a total different again vibe film. I think we've had, I think we've had the setup. I think we've had the bloodbath. So I got a funny feeling Halloween ends. So Jamie Curtis is already warned fans this is going to be a different film. So we might get lucky in this one that we might get an actual Halloween film par 1978. You know, the vibe of that. I hope. But he could, but he, but he could kill 60 yeah, people I mean, in it. It remains to be seen, obviously. I, I, I did like that, that they were talking a lot about him being stood in the window staring and, and, and looking into that a bit more, you know, was he looking out at the town or was he looking at his reflection? And and then they worked that into the ending. I thought that was really good. And, yeah, that was chilling. Uh, I, I genuinely didn't see it coming. I mean, you, you, uh, obviously something had to happen, but I, I, I was genuinely surprised it did. And I wasn't sure what to think at first, but yeah, looking at it, I was like, ah, oh, it's pretty great. And the whole, it, it did get a bit absurd at times, that whole Big John, Little John thing just, <laughs> it just seemed to come out of nowhere and it, it made a it, well it was a good change from the hospital mob at least and, and it was quite amusing yeah I mean with the hospital lot I've the sort of theme of when you hunt a monster you become a monster it mm. was like cracking a walnut with a sledgehammer or something yeah. like that <laughs> like it was I, and the way they, they, they like drive an innocent man to suicide and they don't really give too much of a shit you gotta hunt the monster. They don't hunt. They just stand around talking about it. He's gotta die tonight. He's gotta mm. die tonight. Well, do something then. You should be standing around for the last half hour. <laughs> the poor man has already killed 30 people outside. He's doing a bed chamber. He's gone shopping and getting a couple of cans. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> at but... least they do originally go out and then they only return to the hospital because they've obviously found you know, that little massacre at the park. And obviously they're confused as to who Michael actually is and they're chasing Gollum around the hospital. So. <laughs> Gollum, ultimately. So back to the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, you're right. There, there is a parallel. It's a connection. Oh, God. Uh, but like, um, the other scene that worked for me was when Laurie is, uh, she's got, you know, she got that, that dude beside her in the other bed and they're like talking about, oh, yeah, when we were younger... There's just something quite sad about the kind of, I guess, the youth that Laurie had stolen from her by this time. Hmm. You know, she, it seems like she was a, like a regular teenager. Kind of insecure about the whole thing. She reflects on, ah, yes, good old Ben Tramer. And then <laughs> it, it, it makes the whole thing quite sad that she didn't get to have this normal life. Yeah. But since then, her entire life's been defined by this guy, right? And, you know, we know from the first time she's had multiple divorces and stuff like that. She's obviously got a drink problem. She's not living her best life. Things aren't going well here. And that just little reminder that she was once a, a regular teenager wearing regular teenager things, I thought that was really sad. Mm. As, as I said before, like Hawkins seems to 
ground everything when, when he's about. I mean, obviously the flashbacks, not quite as ground level as the rest of it, but he, he seems to keep everyone's feet on the ground when he's around. And adds, adds a little bit of pathos to it, I suppose. Like, because otherwise everyone just is kind of making it all about them, aren't they? But it's, it's nice to see them, you know, reminisce and it's, it's not all about that one thing. So yeah, it, it does add a nice little element to it. What do we think of the beginning bit? Now in a bit of phony outrage, it seems people say like, oh, they're trying to ban Halloween killing the, the firemen. You're like, less than a hundred people have signed that petition despite international news coverage. <laughs> like no one's trying to ban Halloween kills here. Right. But the bit where he suddenly goes all Jedi Knight and takes, I like, <laughs> so it's like three or four of them here, like within a quick port of a quarter of about 10 seconds. But like, I guess that wasn't saying, all right, Luke Myers, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's, you know, he, he's fucking serious in this one. And like him maybe emerging from a burning building, in the event the film was better received, and I think that would be quite an iconic image. But I mean, this film has not genuinely been well received by the fan base. I'm actually really surprised here. This is two against one of two of us liking it and Ross not liking it. Take any other collection of free horror fans. <laughs> And I think this would be three people saying it's shit. Uh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm glad, I'm glad you got something out of it, both of you. Uh, but, you know, it, it, I think it depends on who loves the franchise. I mean, Jim has already said the fight the Dean is, you know, the one for him. And I can understand why he likes Halloween Kills because it's basically a Jason film all in name. But if you're a Halloween fanatic who's been brought up in the sequels who absolutely loves Michael Myers, and what you see in the front row is just totally, totally wrong. There's this the needless. I mean, the thing that got me was the end where the poor boyfriend dies. You know, just randomly the way he kills them, he goes down the stairs, breaks the neck. It's just that's not that's not my ears. It's, it's you can laugh to him. It's not it's not. And he's walking down the stairs and thinking, oh my god, this is just. You should never be bored with a Halloween film. I'm not bored watching Halloween Five. I'm not bored watching Halloween Six because there's a naffness to it. There's a stupidness to it, but it's enjoyable. This is why I what this is why I love Jason Lives, you know, because it's such a stupid film. It's one of my favorite horror films of all time. But Halloween Kills is so boring, and I watched it twice now. I watched it in the cinema, and I watched it again. I went to the cinema again last night to watch it again. I, I waited for this podcast, and it was hell of a lot worse second time. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> and I watched it even more people in there, and I didn't get anyone whooping and cheering. It was just a flat, flat atmosphere. Mm. Honestly, I could. There was no one whooping. There was no one going. Ooh, ooh, ooh. There was nothing. The only bit of excitement people got, and I felt the same, was the final kill when Carmen died. Because I, I like Jim, I wasn't expecting that. Because the rumours we were doing in the Holocaust films was the film ends suddenly. You know that that's the rumours are coming through before the film was released, and that people are going to be annoyed that our way just ends. So I was expecting just a, a shot of Michael walking down the street and to be continued so to have that kind of get the punch ending which I didn't expect was brilliant yeah I heard it's not meant to be another ending of the DVD or something or the Blu-ray I should say it's not going to be I think Ugh. there's another ending that was recorded that they that they changed because of how they intend to start part 3 which to me right. implies that although part 3 is doing a time jump we still got a bit more from part 2 to see what, are they still hanging around the hospital? <laughs> but we'll be hanging around, like, we'll be taking in, uh, we'll be taking in Karen or something like that. <laughs> oh, years later, they still stand in there. <laughs> be ready to go, boys. 
he should have died four years ago, but today he uh, dies. When, <laughs> when, when Tommy Doyle died, I was like, you know what? I, I'm not going to miss the character as such, but nah, it, it was a shame because he was, like Laurie, he was a victim of the whole thing. His entire life was hmm. ruined by this one night. His entire life was defined by this one night. I can understand Laurie, but Tommy met him twice and... <sighs> He was never put a sweater with Michael. I, don't know, I, mean, I think just being around that sort of violence, you know, knowing that uh, people died on the night when you were threatened, would be terrible for you. Without going to specifics, like you know, there's people that I know who 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 weren't directly involved in. Um, but I'll just I'll just say the the Dumbling school shooting, for instance, right? I know. So I know right. someone who was someone who went to that school. They were not present on the day. But at the same time, like the trauma that they had afterwards of of dealing with that something violent happened near them. So I was able right. to like I don't think it was necessarily totally well done in the way they handled the character. And I think at points Tommy was a bit too buffoonish and also full of his own legend, like a bit of the karaoke bar. Whereas mm. I thought this is probably a guy who like that was for the audience, that was not for the character of that sequence. Like, this is a guy who probably would not be talking about what happened to him. And yet, they had to tell the audience that this is Tommy Doyle, so he had this awkward bit of him giving his own backing story as part of a, an open mic night. But I think the, the idea, though, of um, growing up around something that's that defining for your community, I think that, I, I, I think that, I think that would fuck with you a lot. Granted, I was, I was just wondering, I was watching it thinking, well, would it really affect someone, you know, who was part was a young child at the time and then obviously you know the, the man's been locked up for 40 years and logically in life if he escaped you get in a car and fuck out of the way now <laughs> you know we wouldn't go hunting for him and yeah because it's giving a, I suppose it's giving quite an interesting uh, version of the, of the way people deal with trauma there because they, they, they all stuck around Haddonfield like Haddonfield's just in the middle of nowhere and the thing is if you're doing a film where the sequel's set in the 1980s and you're bringing back recurring characters you have le- there's less of an expectation of moving home, you know. There's less of an expectation that you'll necessarily up and move your move city. Whereas mm. I think nowadays, if they're saying okay, well, the characters are still there forty years later and they're still living in this this small town, even though they don't really have to, I think of that for me just is a way of showing the preoccupation they have. That they're like, we're not leaving here because if we leave, Myers wins essentially. Hmm. Right. I, I I would get the shit out of it. I would have I would have got in the car and gone. You know? <laughs> yeah, oh, same, same. Like, no, I just fucked off. I just got to fucked off to LA or something, right? But um, or or I got to, I got to, I'm going to hang around Crystal Lake for this nice fair. But yeah. <laughs> a very a very unfortunate move. But yeah, I I think like for me that spoke volumes about the characters that these uh, the, the this lot they're still there. They're still hanging out with each other. Can you imagine that for Tommy and Lindsay they've had to work this shit out between them for decades basically and uh yeah so I've, for me the the, the idea were still there really worked me seeing them back again really worked and it did do a nice job of saying this isn't just a personal tragedy it's a town tragedy it was a good film but i just wish parts of it had been done slightly better uh you two need to watch it again and <laughs> i have another opinion because i couldn't see nothing good about this film <laughs> And it's quite strange to see the opinion changing. As you quite rightly said, it started off really high. You know, there's a lot of praise towards it. But as the week's going by, you know, people are having second watches and they begin to see the many, many flaws that this film is offering. And it is, a, to me, it's a very, very weak and very disappointing sequel. I got, I got to be honest. So to 
the problem is the issues of 2018 carry over to this one mm. and just makes it bigger. Uh, how many stars would you give this one then? Because I've not read your review yet, although I now will. I think I give it. Two, I think I give it two and a half stars, which is not too bad, honestly. But if I could look back now, I give it two Indeed. stars. I knocked the fight. I knocked that little off. Uh, Jim, what about yourself? I'd give it a four. Oh for goodness <laughs> sake! I give up. You know what? I, Where's my wife? Uh, I, I would. I'm pondering. It's either three and a half or four. I liked it more than 2018, largely for reasons I just outlined. <laughs> Um, I thought it was a far more interesting uh, set of character dynamics. I think Michael didn't feel like an underdog. He felt a lot more dangerous. Yeah, I just, I, I, I enjoyed it. I think it's probably more three and a half I do, uh, because I don't think David Gordon Green's very good at building suspense. You dread to think what's going to happen in the Exorcist <laughs> films, which he's doing next. Oh, shit, is he? Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't think he's very good at building suspense. I think he's... Showing himself as a director who's not who, who can do more than comedy, um, and some of the horror scenes are are quite good. The ones that are sold at face value. It's just I didn't I, maybe maybe it's not actually maybe it's not about the suspense. Maybe it's maybe the, maybe the staging's fine. Maybe it's just the characters that I don't like. It could be because it did it, it seem like some of the characters did seem a bit too silly. Like again, going back to the big John, little John characters. Normally, when someone's creeping around the house trying to make sure there's no one going to jump out and stab him. They wouldn't be shouting each other's names to each other for the entirety of <laughs> Yeah, Just silly little things like that, which I think was still good, just not in a horror sense. It, I thought it was a very fun film. There's very few films that are genuinely scary these days. I wasn't expecting this one to be scary. There's a couple of jumps in it, but yeah. <laughs> well, I, I took one of my kids with me and she shot herself a couple of times, so that that would be <laughs> the only proper jump I saw was in Gollum threw himself off the bloody hospital thing. Curiosity. Did you did your daughter like a film? Did she has she seen all the other yeah. ones? Um I don't know. I know she's seen well like, we went to see the original when that played before twenty eighteen. Uh, so we watched those two. I think she might have seen a couple of the other sequels, but now I think these ones are probably the main experience she's had with it. Yeah, because uh, with that one, it was very much playing to the legacy. Like, I mean, I was watching it as someone who was emotionally invested in the adults because I'd seen them as kids. I don't know that slasher-style films necessarily be my bag if I were young right now. And I think that's more just because you don't really get them now. Like, you know, I mean, we're of a generation where you what you like I got into slasher films largely through seeing Scream and yeah. then I kind of got into worked my way backwards and then rewatched Scream and appreciated how good it was and yeah, um, yeah, I, I know what you mean I mean like we, we grew up in videotape era didn't we really yeah. where like these were the films you had to see like your friends in the playground would tell you about them and think that's all oh, wow that sounds like the wildest scariest thing I've ever heard of uh, you've got to find out I mean I watched Halloween for the first time when I was probably about 13 on a black and white tuna TV when they were doing some uh, scary movie special on BBC or something like that. And I, you're scared because of its reputation rather than what you're watching. And, you know, I, yeah. I think that was the thing for us back then. You know, my friend saw this on video and said, it's the scariest thing ever. And like it killed seven people when they were watching it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Cause I think something that's, 
I guess the different about consuming media nowadays is in the age of streaming, if this goes, whether this isn't just about movies, I guess I'd apply this to music especially, actually. In the days of st- of streaming, and you can kind of curate your own taste in a way that hmm. we didn't really, because we're of a era where you kind of, you inherit things. Like, you, like yeah. you go, okay, well, like I was initiated to horror by my older brother, who's not even much of a horror fan, seeing some of his VHSs. You know, I, I got into music through my parents and my older brother. I got into the sort of bands that they like, like, uh, my older brother's like, oh, yeah, you know, here's here, here's uh, some Oasis and Nirvana and stuff like that. Whereas if I were a teenager right now, or or younger even, if I were like 10 years old right now and just trying to get into music, you just go on Spotify and look up one of the playlists. Hmm. I think it'd be a very different relationship you have with the media you consume. So, like, yeah. I think when it comes to stuff like watching Halloween, you know, I mean, the time, like, when, well, I would have seen Halloween probably when I was about f- 15. So I would have been 15 in... Uh, 2002. Now, the gap between Halloween and 2002 would be, what, 24 years, right? Yeah. And at the same time, I think, like, someone my age in 2002 watching Halloween, it's probably more typical than someone who's 15 now watching a film mm. from 2002. And, uh, I th- and I think, like, part of it is just because we've got so- young people now with such easy access to a lot of material. Yeah, but, uh, that's, the, that's the thing. I mean, I, my kids have got access to loads of different streaming services we've got netflix disney plus amazon all that so you just think like you think back to when you're at that age and the things you could have watched i mean they've got stuff like hellraiser and the 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 brood on amazon prime and it turns out they're watching fucking gordon ramsay's kitchen nightmares on there (laughs) i've never been so disappointed uh, we yeah. sound like, <laughs> like such a bunch of boomers here. <laughs> no, but it's true. But it's true. All the, the, the new generation misses out on this, don't they? I mean, when I was a kid, it was a Friday night. The Friday night film on BBC was always yeah. a horror. And you, you'd watch that. It could be a Hammer Horror. It could be one of the modern ones. It could be Halloween even. And you just sit there knowing when you have to watch this now because the next time you watch it probably be in two or three years' time unless you're lucky enough to have in VHS. Oh, yeah. The, the it's, amount it's, of films I've taped off the telly on a Friday and Saturday night mm. just because they sounded cool. Yeah. But that's but that's what made the thrill of it. I mean, I always remember, I think it was 90, Christmas 1988 and the big film on BBC was Batman. Mm. No, no, it is. Nineteen eighty-two, sorry, came out in nineteen ninety-nine, and uh, oh my god, even though I'd seen it, that was a big, major thing. You don't even get that excitement now because no. everything, like you said, is on Netflix. You know, it's, it's quite sad, really, and it's only going to get worse because you can see it happening now. Cinema releases now are coming out what thirty days mm. after to rent on TV. You know, that is the future, sadly. I mean, cinema is a dying, dying art. But when you going back to the original conversation you said about the slasher films, there must be a market for it, David. I know, even for the new generation, because you know, my years. Halloween himself and Michael Myers' return was born on the fact of Pennywise's success because it was so massive. All of a sudden, let's get Halloween. I mean, it's not the lot of once Jason's legal uh, trial has been sorted, no doubt he'll rise from his water grave in Camp Crystal Lake. And there's no question we're going to have another Nightmare on Street film. So these characters, no matter what, is not going to die. Halloween ends, it'll end next year, be back in five mm. years' time. Yeah. But- <laughs> These boogeymen don't die, simple as, because they're such iconic characters. It really fucks me off, actually, with the way that they market these films, where before Halloween Kills came out, we already knew there was a third one. And now before Halloween Ends comes out, we already know there's probably going to be a fourth one. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, you, they, they, they really take the suspense out of their own, out of their own releases. I mean, don't be me wrong, like, I agree that there will always be a market here. And, I, and when I'm saying that I think something's a bit lost with streaming... 
it's not really a bad thing in this bad thing way because I think it means that people grow up with much more of a sense of their own sort of individuality in what they like because they can create hmm. it more. But at the same time, I think it's uh, I sort of hope that some of the older films don't get too lost in the mix. Well, I guess I kind of wish streaming had a little bit more of an impact because when I went on uh, Saturday night, it was fucking rammed. So <laughs> I, I love it when I'm practically the only one in there and I've got the place to myself. See, but this, is, this is weird. It's this weird uh, kind of cognitive dissonance uh, folks yeah. like myself and Jim have of going, I really want Cinema to succeed, but I want nobody to be here when I go. <laughs> He wants to be the yeah, only I, I one. Want I want Cinema to succeed, so, so I can go, go there. Just not on the day I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, by the way, one other thing I just want to bring up before we move on to our list, right, is um, something that the new film did. When You know the bit where he copies the photo of Big John and Little John with their death position? He puts their bodies to mimic the picture, right? That was like... I like this as a return of trickster Myers, because Myers has always had this kind of flair for the dramatic. Like, in the hmm. first movie, we were meant to buy that he hauled a, a gravestone across. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, like, something that never made sense to me about Jason was the way that Jason ties up bodies to, like, fall out, right? It's like, that doesn't make any sense Jason would do that. But it does make sense Myers does this. Because Myers just loves, like, you know, like, having a bit of a prank. <laughs> Where, like, he set up his bit, like, uh, Laurie comes in, got the, you got the gravestone there, and then, <laughs> and then you've got, like, a body comes flying out, and she, yeah, swing it, swing swing it. she, she jumps, and then, like, you know, he's also, like, dressing up in the ghost outfit where he's putting yeah. the wee glasses on the <laughs> Like, what are the other kind of, like, weird little prank bits, like, idiosyncrasies he has? Because, like, he, I know that he's done a few of these in the series, just strange things. Yeah, that, that's why the bit in the park just felt, you know, normal, yeah, I guess, yeah. in, in, you know, <laughs> under the whole grand scheme of things. Like, you know, he's got them all sat on the roundabout with the masks on and stuff, so. But, yeah, it's just these little ticks that add a bit of fun to it, I suppose. <laughs> I mean... The best prank he pulls off is dressing up another armless man in his clothes and walk away. <laughs> That's the best thing, like an Halloween resurrection. <laughs> Let's change clothes, put the mask on him, and walk away, and everyone pretend it's him. Yep, that's the greatest prank on the world. I'll be back a year later, boys. <laughs> Give me stomach cramps. <laughs> yeah. I have looked up a list from ScreenRant.com and this list is called 10 Excellent Horror Movies Set Around Halloween that don't star Michael Myers. So, we have 10 horrors set at Halloween which Michael Myers does not feature in. Monster House. Monster House, you reckon? What do you reckon? It's got to be one of them. Trick or treat. Trick or treat is on there. Monster House is not on there. What? That, that's like, what? That is. Oh, that's disgusting. That that film in its entirety just captures the vibe of this time of year. It's so good. But yeah, uh, fair enough. Monster, monster, monster House is more of a Halloween film than Halloween Kills. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hand in my horror films card, my Ascus, but I don't. I, I generally don't think I've seen Monster House. Is that, is that not like a? Is that a kids? What? Film? Is that a kids? Film? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, it's yeah, but it's not. It's not a kids' yeah, film. My, my you put that on for the you put yeah. <laughs> you put out you you put out on for the kid, and they scared you. They can watch Halloween Kills. And you put a, <laughs> you put a put monster house on, and they won't sleep for four days. <laughs> uh, it's really good. Honestly, it's really good, David. It's brilliant. I watch that every Halloween. No, it's not. It's not on the list. Uh, Trick or Treat is on the list, however, which I thought uh, was really good. Monster Squad is that on there? Monster is that Squad on Halloween? Uh, it's not on the list. I don't know if it's set on Halloween. But I can't remember now. Guess uh, a, wee, a, a fun wee story about Trick or Treat was I was at uh, the premiere for Alien Covenant, right? And uh, Brian Cox was there. The actor Brian Cox, of course, of succession fame, <laughs> as opposed to the physicist. And um, my brother knows Brian Cox, so he introduced the two of us, right? And I was like, oh, I love your work in Deadwood. Right? If we started talking about horror a bit, and I mentioned, oh, yeah, I remember some of your horror films. You were really good in uh, Trick or Treat. And, like, he did a double take. <laughs> so this is not a film <laughs> people, people mentioned to Brian Cox. So he goes, it's like, oh, no one <laughs> talk about that one. Like, in a way, but he was glad I had. Um, he was really big on uh, uh, the autopsy of Jane Doe because he just finished that. He was he was really big on that one, like saying it was one of his favourite things he'd ever done. Probably because he's a, he's got a starring role in it. But uh, but yeah, I, I like Trick or Treat a lot. I thought that was a lot of fun. Mm. Yeah, that's that's uh, uh, that's the three different stories, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, the anthology. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed that. There's also, it's, there's, there's also another Chick or Treat film as well from the 80s. Is yeah, that that is not on there. Some of these. <laughs> I, 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 uh, Hocus Pocus has got to be on Hocus there. Hocus Pocus is not on there. Wow. Uh, no, it's, it's horror, not horrible. <laughs> and one of these, <laughs> I, one of these is a horror, but it's stretching it a little bit to call it a horror. Charlie Brown, Pumpkin. What? Hubie Halloween. Holly Brown, Pumpkin Hunt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pumpkin Hunt, something else it's called, isn't it? Happy Halloween, Charlie Brown. Uh, Holly- I don't know. Tell right, me. So go on, I let's go through this list. Number 10. <laughs> Season of the Witch, Halloween 3. Which Myers does technically appear because he appears in one frame. But it's a good film. I'm willing to go with it. Number 9. Trick or Treat. Number 8. Haunt. From 2019. I've seen oh, this film. Why? Did you, you guys see this? It's the one that's like... Uh, yeah, but I won't classify it as Halloween. Uh, it's set, it was set on Halloween. Um, I mean, that's... Uh, like, mm. like, because we're going to like one of the, horror, the sort of Halloween uh, haunted house attractions in the States. What I will say is... Um, I've, I don't remember the film that well, but there's one that does stick with me. The, the bit where the uh, lead punches one of the guys in the mask. And as you get hit, it's a realistic response. You get punched in the face and go... Oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> That's my main memory of it. Oh, and a slightly goofy bit towards the end. Um, Ooh, but what about ET? That scared the shit out of me when I was three years old. ET is not on here. <laughs> <laughs> I I just thought the one. It's got to be on there because if it's not, that list is full of bullshit. <laughs> right? It's the most underrated Halloween film for the last twenty years. Satan's little helper. No, it's not on here. Oh, that's with Alice Cushing. You've seen that, guys? <laughs> I, 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 well, I, I, I can't remember. No, I don't think I've seen it. A little, a little kid befriends a Michael Myers, they go on trick or treating. Oh, that sounds nice. 
It's 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 really and honestly, if you if you Google and everything, the ratings are five stars. It's it's a little unknown film. I come out to think two thousand and seven, and it's it's a it's a perfect Halloween film. It's mental. It's a great great laugh, and I think it's I think it's on Amazon to watch now for free as well. So seek it out, right? Number seven, by the way, I can't believe neither of you mentioned this one. Um, it's an anthology film, very possibly one of the best anthology films of all time. It's got Stephen King appearing in it. Oh, Creepshow. Yeah, Creepshow, Creepshow is number seven. Fantastic what? little movie, this one. Where, where was that Halloween? What part of Halloween? Am I missing something? Yeah, there's or? a wraparound story set at Halloween. Oh, for goodness sake, we're clutching straws for there. I was just thinking of Ted Danson buried at the beach. You know what? Like, <laughs> Stephen King, Leslie Nielsen, Ted Danson, Ed Harris, they all appear in it, and that's quite a good cast for an anthology film. Okay, okay there's a Friends episode set in Halloween. Is that number five? <laughs> uh, so number six is... Um, yeah, I, I know that you guys will have seen this. Well, Ross has definitely seen this. It's a werewolf film... With as a Canadian werewolf film, and we've got two women in it. Oh, Ginger yes. Snaps! Ginger Snaps is number six. I really enjoy Ginger Snaps. So I think it does. The, it's doing tried and tested grounds of a kind of puberty angle, but at the same time, it's doing it in a way that I thought made it feel fresh. It's my favourite werewolf film movie it's of all time. Absolutely. Uh, it's in my top 10 of all, all films of all time I absolutely adore it every single thing of it it's so underrated and the sequel is not so bad either did you watch uh, did you watch Raw yeah I they did it actually yeah. such a similar vibe, vibe to it yeah 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 that's a dark film oh though, fuck but. absolutely yeah oh, for sure. yeah I went on a diet for five years after that is a cracking film I haven't seen Ginger Snaps so. uh, oh, that's, that's free on Amazon as well <laughs> Uh, I, I think I'm on commission. I think I'm on commission tonight, boys. They own everything else. So, now, <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, with Raw, by the way, I interviewed the director of Raw back in the day. It's one of the things when you live in London, you've got so many press opportunities to dry up when you move to northeast Scotland, where our choice is saw. You can speak to the guy who did Sony Bean or the guy who did did did. Uh, uh, Redwood Massacre. So, um, <laughs> if you're listening, by the way, David, you, you can come on our show. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, I was speaking to her. Uh, well, she walked in the room as me and some other people at Press Junket were chatting about the movie. They're saying that um, it was probably quite disappointing that it had the like the barf bags and the oh, it's almost minging kind of kind of vibe about it because you know you think. A lot of the people who'd really enjoy this film are not going to watch it because of that. And at the same time, a lot of the people who want to watch a big bloodthirsty film are not going to like what they see because it's not that. So I think it was I think it was terrible mm. marketing for a really good horror drama. Anyway, um, number five. Right, I don't know if anyone else has seen this one. It's got Christopher Lloyd in it playing a baddie. Was it your rabbit? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you guys watched I'm Not a Serial Killer. Oh, how, what the hell? Yeah, it's in there. Why is that number five? I, I, Monster, Monster House is not in it. Satan's Little Lebers on in there, but I, oh, for goodness yeah, sake. Okay, it's not, yeah, it's not what I would have chosen, but at the same time, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good film. Uh, I liked it. Christopher Lloyd's fantastic in it. Uh, the end. It's a good film. It's a good film. It's a good film. really good. Right, Ross, number four is a film that you used to go on about all the fucking time. It's a found footage, <laughs> found footage uh, horror film. 
uh, about some friends who open up a haunted house. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Hellhouse LLC. Oh. So this is uh, number four. I liked this one. I didn't see either of the sequels, but I thoroughly enjoyed Hellhouse LLC. I didn't even realise it Isn't was it? Uh, Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, all the way through. Like, it's in America. This they sort of, like, oh, we do a, we do a haunted house uh, run. Like, this is huge stuff in the States. It doesn't... Like over, uh, here, I over here, we're a bit we're a bit dodgier about walking into a stranger's property, which is mm. which is yeah. which is re- quite weird considering in America they can have guns. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, I, I love Ellos. I mean, that's the pop, that's the, the last film that proper scared me, and even my age, uh, that bit with the clown on top of the, on top of the stairs, and he looks and smiles at him. Oh my god, I jumped a flame in my little. Are the sequels any good? See, the second one's brilliant. The, the first 20 minutes is brilliant because they show YouTube clips of people visiting the house and what happens to them. And they do a really good take on Hitchhiker story. Mm. And that is outstanding. And then it falls into a bit the same trap as the first one. Still good, though. The third one's a bit lesser, lesser because the impact of the first two films, you know, you get to know the story more. But as for the trilogies, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. And number three here. Absolutely fantastic film, definitely a five-star one. This is a science fiction horror. Uh, it's set during the 1980s, and it's a directorial debut of Richard Kelly. Honey Darko. I really enjoyed this one. I think I, 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 I like that it's on the list because the list is acknowledging that horror is quite a, di- a diverse genre. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think Donnie Darko is... Uh, I, think it's, I think it's a modern masterpiece. I think it's really good. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm not going to disagree with that. It's the first time taking me to read or something, David. Well done. Uh, number number two, I did not like. Uh, so this is an Adam. Wi- I am going to love this an one. Adam Wingard film. Uh, set at Halloween. It's about yes. That's a cracker. That is. I, I I'm I'm a big fan of that one. It's cracking soundtrack for a start. Soundtrack's good. You're not fan I of the guest. Style over substance. I, like I, I thought it was it, it was it was okay. Like I was watching it going. Eh, like I don't know, like a lot of that, like Adam Winger stuff in general. I think it was, I think it was more about like a, a feel, more about a vibe than I thought it was particularly good storytelling. I'm getting quite worried about you. you give Urban Legend four stars. You give Halloween Kills four stars. So, you know, the, the guest is brilliant. It is. It's a fantastic uh, film. Thanks, Jim. And uh, number one, I've never watched this film yet, so I can't really say much about it to like hype it up. But the film's called Murder Party. I, I, no. I, I know what you mean, but I've not seen it. I've, I've seen plenty of adverts for it, but it just didn't look like my cup of tea. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a group of hipsters who decide to want to torture and kill someone on Halloween night as an act of artistic expression. When a lonely man shows up in a costume made out of cardboard, an actual murder party ensues. Fortunately, for, where, did you, where did you find this list? Uh, Screenrant.com. There's, no, there's only one that's probably Halloween themed. <laughs> Oh, you know, there's no, there's no monster house, there's no blinking Satan's little help, but there's, there's nothing. There's, there's no the mortuary collection, and that's, that's like a Halloween film. Oh yeah, film. mortuary collection, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like David. <laughs> it's set at Halloween. What, more than the bloody the guests. <laughs> the guests are set at Halloween. <laughs> they have like, they have like a, a, a dance party, a Halloween dance party at one point. <laughs> oh, cl- so why, why in the quad, kid, isn't it? <laughs> 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 uh, 
Don't be wrong. Like I, I find it weird. I find it weird to guess me on there, uh, just because I, I also don't know oh. if I call it a horror. But uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't go that far with Donnie Darko either. Himself, but each to their own, I suppose. Yeah, I can't. I, I can't remember the the Halloween scene in Ginger Snap. You know what? I don't recall it. Exactly. Yeah. Just thought. <laughs> Yeah, wait, 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 hang on. Yeah, yeah, the film the film ends at ha- ends at a Halloween party. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> so it counts. That's, that's clutching. It counts. Oh, that's made me laugh. I mean I I, I don't oh. know. I'm, I'm sure there's uh, I'm sure there's plenty other ones they could have meant they could have mentioned, like uh, Pet Cemetery. Oh. That's a Halloween film, isn't it? Ah, that's another one. Yeah. Pet Cemetery Two is definitely Halloween. I'm not sure if the first one is. Oh, uh, but, oh yeah. That's, why, why is that not on there? That's a belter. Tale, tale of uh, Hallow, Hallow's Eve is that the one? It's a, the bullying one from a few years ago. That was quite good. Yeah, that was a good one. It was the kid eating the chocolate at the beginning, yeah, that's wasn't it? Right, yeah. And yeah, that's really good. That is. Yeah, that's a good one. I was thinking about it as well. Um, oh, yeah, May was another one set at Halloween. Yeah, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed May. I thought that was uh, I thought that was fantastic. Really sad, really really powerful stuff. That's forgotten about all the years as well, and that's the one film I seem to miss out the radar now, where people have totally neglected, which is quite sad, really. Because that's uh, that's really really good. Uh, I could be falsely remembering this, right? But was the Exorcist not set at Halloween? Because the book is. I can't remember if the film makes an issue out of it. I can't remember. I got to be honest. With you. Hmm. I was too busy watching a red spin round and uh, <laughs> spewing green screen soup. Just seen this listed elsewhere. House two, Halloween set of Halloween. So is Rob Zombie's thirty one. Poltergeist and the Changeling are both Halloween. And uh, and this one should have been on Sinister. Is all also has one of the videotapes of Halloween. <laughs> 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 and frankly, I love Sinister, so that needs to be talked about more. Oh God! Hey, this is like oh. when, you, when you were telling us that like two of the, two of the uh, of the people in something or other gone on to play play super villains in uh, DC. One of them was oh, yeah, is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. The end. The end. Of Ginger Snap shows a tiny Halloween party, so it's the number six Halloween <laughs> film of all time. Bloody hell! Uh, uh, so this is going to require some editing because uh, we won't give us out by by Halloween, and we've already gone for like three hours. So I got to cut this one in a moment. This has been an absolute blast, guys. <laughs> I know what happened. <laughs> Anyone listening? Do do let us know what you think of. Uh, Halloween kills. Are you, are you and me and Jim's team? Are you and Rossi's team? Of course, also do feel free to let us know any great films at uh, Halloween that we have not mentioned. Uh, folks, I've had, had a fantastic night and uh, I hope that you have too. So, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from these guys. See ya. Remember, guys, he dies tonight. <laughs> Films.co.uk
White Bat Audio.